Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. Oh, hello there, I'm Andrea, one of the hosts of The Other Castle. Oh, was that your Mickey Mouse there? For legal reasons, no. Okay, <laughs> well my name is Tom. And I'm Andrea, like I mentioned. And yes, we are The Other Castle, where we break down the plot, lore, and more of video games. Ooh, I like the more part, I think, the most, because the people that make video games are wild as fuck, and then... <laughs> Everything about video games is wild as fuck, and it brings me a lot of joy. And we're here every Wednesday, sometimes. We are in the middle of <laughs> season six. Last week, if you hung out with us, we did Uncharted, Uncharted. aka Dude Raider. <laughs> we're doing another male-led game this week, but you know, we're here for the next few Wednesdays, and we do take breaks in between just because we need to go play these games. Right, absolutely. So... Welcome back, and yeah, this might be our most dangerous game we've ever covered on the show. Yeah, I'm not touching this one. This one's all fucking you. Yeah, for uh, both litigious reasons, it's dangerous, <laughs> just because Disney is a big fan of suing people. Yep. But also, we are diving into one of the most convoluted storylines in all of gaming, Kingdom Hearts. I don't understand. I think I actually said previously on this series that we will never cover Kingdom Hearts. We keep doing that, though. <laughs> we, keep, <laughs> we keep creating hard boundaries and then being like, eh, why not? Like, we joked about not doing Tetris, and I was like, that's stupid, haha, moved on with my life, and now we have a great Tetris episode on the Patreon. <laughs> so, Very true. Fuck my life, I guess. Which, yes, if you are enjoying our show, please sign up for our Patreon, where we have lots of good discussions going on, gets you lifetime access with just one donation to our Discord, to our newsletter, and then you get all of the episodes that we record over there, a lot of really great content. Yeah, I really do like the Tetris episode a lot. I wasn't trying to shit on it because I spent the whole time screaming and crying and overjoyed, but that's neither here nor there. That's on the Patreon over there. Also, don't forget, if you are in Las Vegas from February 17th through the 19th, we're going to be at Level Up Con. Oh, yeah. Level Up Expo is going to be at the Las Vegas Convention Center. That's right behind the strip. You can get there via tram. You can have a tram-tastic day. Come hang out with us. We're down at the South Hall. We will be in the Community Booth area right behind Las Vegas Fur Con in Community Booth 03. We'll be in the corner right before the Indie Development Booths, which is so cool for us because you know, despite the games we've covered so far, <laughs> I am an Indie stan. Check out the back catalog. I get weird with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe you can test out Tesla Tunnel as well. Oh, right. You can do that. It's free, right? Yeah, it's absolutely free. Yeah, those are free, and it feels very Batman when he's, like, going through the crazy tunnels to get into the Batcave, because <laughs> it's just wide enough for the car. It's and so narrow. It's so narrow, and it makes me nervous. I haven't been in it, but I've seen a couple of videos from some local vloggers that it's so fascinating to live in a city where there's so much coverage and proactive lifestyle <laughs> vloggers, right. so there's a lot of content just about living here, and I'm like, I do that every day, but also, how do you do it? You know, I'm bit of a voyeur but it's so fascinating seeing people go through it anyway regardless you want to be a voyeur of some really cool gaming convention stuff we will be there you can check us out on social we'll also be posting and hopefully catching some really cool cosplays that's always the best part of these selfishly for me and you know what'd be even cooler than seeing somebody in cosplay Ooh, seeing somebody in uh, the other castle t-shirt oh shit that would be really cool i am so nervous for the day I see someone in it and it's not me or you. <laughs> I know, right? To run into one of you in the wild will be absolutely fantastic. I will cry. 
drop of a hat. And you can find that merch on our website, theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. It is under the item shop. We're trying to gamify. We're trying to make it fucking fun. Yeah. <laughs> so you can get your other castle skins or... <laughs> <laughs> just uh, decals, stickers, yeah. you know, if you just want your laptop case. Your phone case, you know, we can go with you wherever you want. I think I have a Bioshock tank top coming up. I think I also got a hoodie. I bought it. I didn't get any swag for free, by the way. <laughs> but you know what you can't get over there is the Bioshock glass that is still only available on the Patreon. You know what? I'm a little jealous because I think the Patreon scored in the merch department. Like, <laughs> really I did. don't have the shot glass. <laughs> I'm in the show. <laughs> and... Our Patreon, there's a tier where you also are in the merch club where you get like a comp shirt stuff, right? Yeah. I so had to buy my shirt. If, if you get in the merch club, yeah, you get a you get a shirt and you get a sticker every round of uh, designs that we do. I'm jealous, honestly. Because like I didn't get samples. I'm on the samples. I didn't get the samples. I'm There's a little 8-bit me waving and I bought it. Whatever. It's fine. I know where the money's going and it's going to literally just keeping the lights on and being able to pay for being able to have a website that shows to merch. So I'm excited. And again, that is our website at theothercastlepodcast.com. Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, you can also just listen to all of our episodes over there. So yeah, hang out with us. It's fun. <laughs> and over here, we are, like I said, talking about Kingdom Hearts, which is it holds such a special place in my heart Aww. because Growing up, I was a major Disney fan. Still am today, to be real. <laughs> I was going to say, you are a Disney adult. <laughs> and I was also a huge Final Fantasy fan. You are a Final Fantasy adult? That's not as cool. That's not nearly as cool at all, no. And I don't think there are those people anyway. <laughs> I think they're just called fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I heard that there was a combination of the two, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, like that why? wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, in what fucking world do they even know each other? Like they don't even go to the same school. You know? <laughs> how did you meet? Well, we are going to talk about how they met, why this game happened, and then we're going to tell you what the fuck happened. Oh, I'm so excited. I played a little bit of this on my cousin's PlayStation when it first came out, but like the music slaps so fucking hard. <laughs> Music's incredible. It's so good. And oh. this was I remember this coming out and it was like iconic. It was a movement. Yeah, you've heard this music at like a nightclub before, haven't you? I did. <laughs> I was at a bachelorette party <laughs> in Vegas. We lived in LA at the time, so it was like a, a journey. And we were at Marquee, which is like the fancy pool club. They call it a day club when you party there during the day, but we were there at night and the pool was open. No one goes in the pool. Like, we're, we don't do that. <laughs> Calvin Harris was spinning, who's like a name brand DJ. And <laughs> it was great. We were with our group of friends. We were in, you and I were engaged at the time, and mm -hmm. this guy came up and he was like, "Hey, would, can would you like to dance with me?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm engaged. Don't worry about me. Like, go hit on someone who isn't taken and isn't looking." And she's, he was like, "No, no, it's cool. Like, I think you seem cool." And I was like, "Based on what? It's dark. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark. I'm hammered. I think I was, I was probably crossfaded. Like, no, it's cool." He's like, "All right, all right. Like, super respectful." And then. The Kingdom Hearts song came on, and I'm losing my shit going hard, and he comes up, he's like, that's what he, he just pointed, he was like, hell yeah, and I was like, <laughs> okay, we can dance, like, <laughs> if the fact that, like, all it took was me being, like, a fucking nerd in the club on a Friday night in Vegas, <laughs> yeah, I'll be your friend, <laughs> but nothing happened. We're very married. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, I don't give a shit, it's fine. 
Well, when Kingdom Hearts was announced at E3 2001, the gaming world wasn't sure if it was a joke or not. Sorry, 2001? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. No, this game's quite a bit old. I was a junior in high school when this was announced. I'm not going to say how old I was, but I was very young. Yeah, when we do these older episodes, you get to talk about how much younger you are than me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's significant, which is... You know, good and bad. Whatever. It's fine. But 2001 feels like a mil- It was a million years ago. Right. No, I mean, this was announced pre-9-11. The country was in a different place entirely. Literally, right? <laughs> Holy shit. And the reason that people thought it might be a joke was it was the most ludicrous collaboration anyone had ever seen. <laughs> okay. Disney and Final Fantasy, is that wilder or less wild than, say, like, Burger King and McDonald's? No, it's like... It's like up there? No, it'd be like Burger King and Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and you're like, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, why did these two people come together? Fair or, enough. you know, Burger King and Toys R Us. It's just like two very drastically different groups. Okay, here's what, what my brain went to. Okay. Is the Burger King like riding the giraffe from Toys <laughs> R Us? Go on. So yeah, Disney characters were going to be teaming up with Final Fantasy characters in an original action rpg title that's fucking sick i'm not gonna lie and it looked fucking awesome oh totally and the collective question on everyone's minds and for some still to this day even you'd literally just asked it what the hell how the hell did these two come together oh <laughs> just pass the concept of just okay but explain your show your work well it starts with one of the most celebrated games in history super mario 64 <laughs> who invited him why is this <laughs> happening wait so a company we all know today as Square Enix had yet to merge with Enix, and at the time was called Squaresoft. They were the company famous for making the Final Fantasy series, as well as a few other lesser titles. And the team at Squaresoft loved Mario 64. How could you not? Right, it was groundbreaking, and they noticed that only Nintendo seemed to be able to make a 3D action game work. Hmm. Everyone else was struggling to make any games and make a splash in that genre. And Final Fantasy did do a great job of transferring to 3D, but a lot of other franchises floundered, such as disasters like Sonic 3D and the hmm. abysmal Bubsy 3D. <laughs> We've come so far in gaming. Sorry, I just had a moment of like, remember when it was difficult to do the 3D uh, right. fucking adventure titles? So Squaresoft knew they had the skills to make a game work, but they were struggling with creating a franchise that could compete with the likes of a Mario. To and like, to this day, people still <laughs> struggle with that. Totally get it. Right. During a meeting amongst executives, they realize there is only one character in the world that has the same name recognition to compete with Super Mario. Wow. I'm sorry. So they pull that shit of kids being like, I can recognize Mickey Mouse, but not the president and shit like that. Yeah. So they went with the one and only Mickey Mouse. And almost simultaneously, Disney Interactive, Disney's in-house gaming production company, was struggling with flop after flop of Disney-adapted games. Hmm. I mean, because a lot of it was just kind of a similar platformer that relates to whatever movie they were pushing at the time, right? Entirely. They were just cash grabs. There was one Tarzan game I remember that came out where it was like, you kind of surf down vines and like capture the letters of Tarzan, so it's like a shitty... Tony Hawk skate. Yeah, right? <laughs> but pretend it's Tarzan for some reason. Hold on to that. Oh, no. <laughs> they hadn't had a true hit since they were called Buena Vista games, and they made the Aladdin and Lion King games. That's a throwback. Both of those are considered to be among the best platformers ever made. They wanted to build a game that would feature Mickey Mouse 
in a JRPG adventure a la Rare's Mario RPG. Very cool. Trouble was, they'd never made a JRPG before. Right, they are missing the J, certainly, being in Burbank, and... <laughs> well, actually, these conversations were not happening in Burbank. Oh. These conversations were happening in Japan. Oh, shit, okay, my bad. In Japan, both Disney and Squaresoft worked out of the same building. Really? Fuck off. And one day, fate took the wheel, and an executive from Disney and an executive from Squaresoft got on the same elevator together. Did they get trapped like a rom-com and this was like the baby they had in the elevator? No, they just talked to each other, said where they were from, and a literal elevator pitch later, <laughs> Kingdom Hearts was officially born. This is why you have to have your elevator pitches ready, everyone. They both mentioned to each other that they wanted to work with the other, so they said okay. That's fucking sick. They were just were like, that's very friendly. I feel like you don't hear about the friendliness of studios working together. You just hear about licensing fights and crazy shit. But the, for two dudes to be like, we can help each other out and the commute is easy and I don't have to fucking leave the building to have a meeting with you. Sick. Let's do this. Yeah. To be real, the creation of this game doesn't have any major dramas. There's, you're going to find out Disney has a little pushback on a couple things. But other than that, they really got along great during the whole process that is so rare <laughs> i'm so much more just impressed that they were like down to clown and were easy to work with yeah and this was just the initial meeting and a lot would come and go in the process okay for sure so during a pitch meeting a young and popular character designer at squaresoft a man named tetsuya namura asked if he could take the lead on the project as its director a go-getter. We love that. Yeah. Now, Tetsuya Nomura was hired on as an assistant character designer at Squaresoft a few years earlier. He got a start with Final Fantasy VI, being allowed to design one of the playable characters as well as some of the side characters. For Final Fantasy VII, he was given the reins, and he was the lead character designer for Final Fantasies VII, VIII, and ten. He did Cloud. He did Cloud. I'm sorry. I haven't played a single Final Fantasy, so all I know <laughs> is that Cloud exists. And Sephiroth, yep. Tifa, and the big guy with the big arm. Barrett. So, and that's all seven, so. Yeah, it's all in seven. Yeah. Yeah, you've, you've watched me play Remake. <laughs> that's why I know who they are. That's right. <laughs> I can't get into fantasy shit. I just, it's not for me, and Welcome that's okay. Welcome to our show. Yeah. <laughs> His designs and characters are some of the most famous in the Final Fantasy series, as well as in gaming in general. And he loves leather and belts and zippers and all of his characters are, you know, kind of androgynous male heroes and villains and admittedly some of gaming's most attractive women characters. It's like stylishly kinky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These guys have all ended up in their own like versions of porn, too. Okay. So like everyone, every character <laughs> was it, is a rule 43 or is it a yeah. number? Yeah. Something like Go that. Go figure. But no, for sure, Tifa's got a whole thing of body pillows. She has a I whole subgenre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like saying I like K-pop and saying I'm a BTS stan. Like, she's the BTS stan of K-pop for fucking sexy video game babes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he had an idea he had been tossing around, and he felt like he could adapt it using Disney characters. He realized there would need to be new characters to flesh it out, so he didn't want to spend a ton of time creating them all. So to save time, he decided to use some of his favorite creations from the Final Fantasy series to fill out those roles instead. He probably just wanted to see his creations playing with Disney characters. He was such a massive Disney fan. Oh, yeah. No, you fully undersold that. This dude was absolutely like, 
let me have the world I created work in the world that I love. That's fucking sick. Yeah, and instead of a traditional JRPG like a Final Fantasy game, they created what is called an action RPG. What's the difference between, where does the action come in? So the action is just basically non-stop, and the characters fight every monster at once instead of like a turn-based style. Oh, okay, for sure. So it's a live action. It becomes, yeah, a button-mashing hack-and-slash with RPG elements, like leveling up and collecting powers. That's cool. And they presented their new Mickey Mouse action RPG to Disney, and they were like, um... What did we just get involved in? <laughs> oh no, there's big swords. What do we do? Yeah, this game was way too dark. Oh, really? They did not <laughs> feel comfortable having Mickey Mouse run around killing things. So then Mickey comes up and sacrifices his heart to the Lord. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, the demons come. It basically went against everything in the Mickey Mouse Bible. <laughs> That's fucking great. So they told them they need to make some serious changes. They can no longer use Mickey Mouse. Oh, shit. Like, at all. Just, you've fully lost your Mickey Mouse yeah, privileges. Yeah, he, he's now off limits, because clearly you don't know what he's about. <laughs> and you've had the most time with him. He came out in fucking black and white times. Like, yeah. you've had decades of content and understanding of this character, and you fully did not nail it. So funny. They were like, you can have Donald and Goofy. <laughs> but they also had their own rules surrounding them as well, limiting what they were allowed to do with the characters. Yeah. I like that there's probably a Bible somewhere that's like, Goofy may not punch anyone below the belt. Goofy may not, like, stick his finger in someone's eye. Like, you know, there's <laughs> there's a whole list of shit they're not allowed to do, and I really like the idea of the imagery of that. And somebody had to put that together. Yeah. Some poor kid doing an SOP on what you can and can't do with Goofy. And Tetsuya Nomura went back to the drawing board, and he took the notes seriously. How could you not? He kept it light, and no Mickey Mouse. And considering Mickey Mouse was the whole reason to make a game, this mm -hmm. was a pretty serious blow. Oh, totally. But he's like, all right, knows the grindstone. It's not a no, it's just a pivot. Let's go. Well, he knew that the rest of the Disney franchises should still be able to compete with the likes of a Mario. The entire catalog. Yeah. Is what it took, though, <laughs> is all I'm hearing. And he sat down and he created a couple brand new characters to carry the story instead. Knowing Disney wanted to keep it light, he also decided to make darkness the literal villain of the story just the concept of darkness yeah <laughs> and since mickey mouse wasn't allowed in the game namura made him go missing as part of the story that's fucking sick and he let that dictate the rest of the game's creation and the compromises worked and disney greenlit their idea but not before relenting slightly on the no mickey mouse rule okay they could use him but in a very limited capacity as Disney Interactive had seen tons of Disney franchises fail, so they were hopeful but not confident this game would be a hit, and therefore didn't want Mickey to have a large presence should the game flop. He can't be the face of another flop. Right. <laughs> totally. And in an effort to keep things light, Nomura eliminated traditional weapons. Oh. As Disney had dictated that their characters could not use any weapon their character didn't already use in their own movie. Oh, okay. So uh, what is approved is approved. He may not have a minigun. Right, exactly. Instead, he invented a new weapon. He combined an axe and a sword and twisted it with a key, creating the Keyblade. I fucking conic. Yeah, it's a weapon that is about three feet long, looks like a gigantic silver key, and the key's teeth make the shape of a stylized crown. The Keyblade could take different keychains the player would collect as they beat the different Disney worlds. 
and those keychains would change its appearance and powers. The new main character, Sora, was designed in a way that would seamlessly fit in with both Final Fantasy and Disney characters. Also, side note, not the only character named Sora we're going to see this season. What the fuck? Wait, what? Yeah, anyway. I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sure there's people that are listening they are like, oh, that means you're going to do... Hmm, there might I, be a few out there. I don't fucking know. I should listen to the show more. <laughs> and yeah, so Sora got some the same color scheme and shoes as Mickey Mouse. Oh, oh, that's cute. No, I'm thinking about it. He's got the big yellow shoes. Mm-hmm, and he's got the red overalls. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so he's designed to look as close to Mickey Mouse as possible. He's like a people mouse. And this was actually kind of difficult to do as both the Final Fantasy and Disney art styles are drastically different. Oh, entirely. But then Tetsuya Nomura watched Tarzan. And he realized Tarzan and Donald Duck don't have the same art style either. (laughs) It's evolved between those two. But they're both Disney projects. So that really loosened him up and that gave him the confidence to continue on. That was one of the first ones where they really relied on blending that computer animation with or their traditional animation like all the crazy movement and shit they had to do was a whole ass thing oh it's incredible how they pulled this off because they really did take these 2d animated cartoons and seamlessly made them into 3d worlds fully shout out to the movie surfers who did behind the scenes shit on that (laughs) i know exactly what i'm fucking talking about yes the movie surfers on the disney channel that's great hell yeah surf's up bitch The thing that Nomura has gone on to say was the most exciting part of making the game was the voice acting. A crazy majority of original voice actors reprised their character roles in the game. Oh, that's fucking great. Including Catherine Beaumont, born 1938. Oh my god. Still alive today. Hell yeah. Who voiced both Alice in the original Alice in Wonderland... (gasps) Oh. And Wendy from Peter Pan more than 40 years later. Holy shit. Could you imagine being her agent and be like, okay, are you familiar with what a video game is core concept? And she'd <laughs> right. be like, Duck Hunt, Tetris, cool. And they'll be like, okay, so they've changed a little bit <laughs> over the last decades and I need you to come into the booth and do some more. And she's like, what movie is it? No. And <laughs> it's like a video game. I hate to bring this up because it makes it sound bad because The Last of Us TV show is fantastic. Yeah. However, the showrunner on that show has come out saying, you know, video games used to be running around, jumping on things and trying not to fall down pits. The, the guy- Last of Us changed all that. He- <laughs> Did- Thank you for not bringing this up last week because I would have had a fucking meltdown. That's Neil Druckmann, the guy who did Uncharted 4. The thing where you jump on shit. <laughs> no, I mean, Neil Druckmann didn't say that. It was the, you know, the HBO producer. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was like, Drucky did not. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he didn't say that. It was just one of the TV show producers. Oh, it was like Naughty Dog's that. Golden Boy did not cross his, or like, fucking be like, I am Mr. Hollywood now. It's insane. There is an entire generation of people that genuinely think video games are still the original Mario Brothers. Yeah, that's wild. No, I, I apologize for having a meltdown, but because <laughs> I assumed you were talking about Neil Druckmann when you said the Last of Us guy. But no, yeah, that's wild. And to be the HBO people that are like, I don't understand video games. <laughs> Core concept. <laughs> I think they started with Last of Us, which was 10 years ago. Right. Um, You are discrediting an entire generation of games prior to Last of Us. Last of Us is genre defining, but it didn't create a new genre. <laughs> 
I think you're discrediting five generations. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he should listen to the other cast. Exactly. <laughs> Centipede, first of all, was an insane ride. Anyway, <laughs> this is why we do this, because you can't just assume video games are jumping on shit. Can you imagine that dude trying Heavy Rain? No, I can't he- imagine him ever broadening horizons. Anyway, I apologize for having a full emotional meltdown. So this sweet, sweet woman who's been voice acting longer than either of us have been alive combined has to come into the booth and reprise her role for something she may or may not understand conceptually. I love that. It's great. And for the new characters, Sora was voiced by then child actor Haley Joel Osmond. I love him so much. And his best friend it was played by Seventh Heaven's child star, David Gallagher. Aw. And remember the Titans child star, Hayden Panettiere. <gasps> she is a video game icon. <laughs> yeah, she's making her second appearance on our show. I didn't know she did so many video games. I thought Until Dawn was really her first, like, I didn't realize she was a part of such a big franchise. That's fucking sick. Oh, no. She is stuck with the Kingdom Hearts series, too. <laughs> As has Haley Joel Osment and David Gallagher. The three musketeer, musketeers. Basically, me, yeah, are... the three musketeers. Oh, they're like the when Christina and Brittany and Justin were all in the Mickey Mouse Club and they grew up together and <laughs> they're all famous together now. Oh, I, wait, I really like that. I like that they also went with just screen child actors because you know their spirits have been broken so much. That, <laughs> but no, but like in a evil consumer's way, that's how you get really good results. You've broken them in. They're Entirely. Spirit, you're not getting someone green, which they ironically kind of are to ignore Disney. Now they have like Moana coming out of kind of nowhere and like other performers that they're kind of plucking out of weird obscurity. For that era, getting a child actor who's been seasoned to perform and like own a character and be you know, very dedicated to what they do. That's very clever. Yeah, Hayden hadn't even done Heroes yet at this point. Those pre-Neutrogena days, baby girl. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm actually going to call ourselves out real quick. How the fuck did we not talk about the fact that she was in the Scream franchise during the Until Dawn episode? Oh my God. (laughs) Playing someone equally as young in the Scream. No, younger, because in Until Dawn, she's like 18, 19. Yeah. In her first Scream, which was Scream 4, she's like 17, 18. Yeah. She is aging backwards. It works for her some fucking how. (laughs) And yeah, she's a full Scream queen. We are amiss to have missed that opportunity. My bad. And now she's coming back in the sixth one as like the Sydney role. Ugh. And they, they're being very coy about her in the teasers. Like, they're oh, yeah. not giving us... We're getting little snippets, but, like... Justice for Kirby. Justice for Kirby. Kirby was a bad bitch. Anyway, sorry. The Final Fantasy characters each got their own celebrity voice, some of whom we'll talk about, like, while we meet them. Because up to this point, only Final Fantasy X had voice acting. And that had come out just one year prior to Kingdom Hearts. Wow. So the rest of it was reading scrolled text as their lines and stuff. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts released on March 28th, 2002, to critical and fan acclaim. Of course it fucking did. Just the commercial alone probably won awards. That shit was fucking sick. Yeah, this collab that never should have happened just fucking worked. And it spawned 12 sequels across platforms galore. Did you say 12? 12. Sorry, my brain heard it but i didn't listen to what you said a fucking dozen i mean i say sequels there's like it's more like spin-offs and sequels okay. but yeah but- including 3ds and mobile <laughs> selling more than 38 million copies across the series wow holy shit some of which have the most confusing titles in gaming 
<laughs> such as my all-time favorite, Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Birth by Sleep, A Fragmentary Passage. Did you just have a stroke? Those are all the words. <laughs> you just said a whole bunch. It's like you took a bunch of those word magnets for fridges, threw it at the fridge, and you're like, that's a Kingdom Hearts title. People have theorized it's actually what they do <laughs> to select some of these fucking names. They've got the manatees <laughs> pushing the beach balls or whatever to come up with names like they do in South Park. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's a crazy person rambling. That's not a real title. And because of all these sequels and side stories, Kingdom Hearts has become one of the most convoluted stories imaginable. Yeah, so why are you doing this? And everything's connected, and some of the most important story moments in the entire series happen in the worst possible places, such as the mobile game. Because the first game, nobody knew how far it was going to go. Okay, so it makes sense for the first game. We're not going to miss too much for because... There's no other additional pieces here. No, I'm not going to be bringing in okay. all the other stuff and because they didn't go by the J.J. Abrams like mystery box formula. Okay. They tried to make a complete story for the first game. Got it. So this one makes sense. Well, I feel comfortable doing this game and maybe number two down the road. It contains one of my all-time favorite moments in gaming. Okay. But I doubt we're going to go much further than that. Fair enough. I got you. There is a really great... BDG unraveled on Polygon where he talks about the timeline of Kingdom Hearts and it's great to just see a man descend into madness sometimes. Yeah, because Kingdom Hearts 3 got brought down off the shelf of third games that'll never happen <laughs> and was a 12-year wait that just wasn't worth it. Oh, and now we have 4 coming out for some reason. Yeah, it was a sequel to not just the first two games, but the other 10 in the series as well. Oh, we were supposed to be like the bookend. We're wrapping this shit up. It was like Avengers Endgame. If the only movies in the series you had seen were Iron Man 1 and 2. <laughs> and all of the rest of the Marvel movies had been released on Quibi and Vine. <laughs> and they assumed you had seen them. That's amazing. Like you got to find a secret Vimeo link for fucking Thor and shit. Oh, no. At oh, the end no. of the day, the Kingdom Hearts series is a triumph for both Disney and Squaresoft. Oh, and Sora and company have even made costume character appearances in the Disney parks. And, you know, the, the costume characters, they're not very common, but you can meet all of them given the right circumstances. Well, Goofy and Duck were probably easy to find. Yeah, but not in their Kingdom Hearts <laughs> outfits. Oh, okay, so they're skinned for it. And the success has also led to Disney lightening up on some of the rules and showing Tetsuya Nomura and his team the trust that they have earned. Hell yeah. Disney is also notoriously tight-lipped with licensing, and they are very specific. They do not like things outside of their box. They are tricky to work with. Yeah, and as you said, Kingdom Hearts 4 is coming with no expected release date at this time. Ever. It's amazing we even got game footage. It, like they Was that an E3 they released it where they was, what, like a 15-second clip of Sora running through a city, fighting a big bad, and everyone was like, there's no way this is happening. <laughs> Yeah. And they were like, it's coming sometime. Like, you probably could have gotten away with just saying it's on a slate, but they were like, we'll show you a little bit. Well, it's also weird because Square Enix has a history of not releasing things at E3. They're more into the Tokyo Game Show. Mm. So having them do it at E3, like both the first original one and this one, it's, it's kind of rare for them. I wonder if that's a Disney thing, though, of being connected and being, you know, a U.S.-based company. And particularly E3 is in L.A. and having the Burbank like HQ of Disney right there just being like, fuck it, we're doing this. You're probably not wrong, actually, because I recently found footage from the very first E3 and I wanted to watch it to see if I could find myself in it. Oh, the 
That's so cute. And when they got to the booth where I was and everything, and I was watching it and looking for myself, couldn't find myself. But then the very next shot they showed was them at the Buena Vista Games booth. And I was like, oh, fuck. I spent my entire day there. Oh, That's right. I didn't hang out at the booth. I hung out there because it was so fucking cool because Disney has (laughs) always had a huge presence at E3. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That's fucking sick. Also, if you guys have footage from the first E3, please send it to Tom. Yeah, I want to find me. Anyway, we're not here for the sequels. We're not here for E3. We're here for the first game. Hell yeah. And it's one of my absolute favorites, so I am beyond excited to be bringing it to you all. This is Kingdom Hearts. We open on our main character, Sora, having a full-blown existential crisis. Who isn't having an existential crisis? Go off, Sora, honey. And it's words on the screen as we hear his internal thoughts questioning existence and whether or not any of it's real. We then see that Sora is asleep, and we're with him in his dreams as he plunges beneath some water in an ocean of blackness. He awakens on a beach, no longer underwater, and he sees a gray-haired teen boy, maybe two or three years older than Sora, standing in the water, and there's a tidal wave approaching. Do you think it's fashion gray or stress gray? Tetsuya Nomura loves gray-haired characters. Okay, so fashion gray. It, I, th- I don't know if it is a fear of his of going gray. <laughs> I don't know if it is like a representation of being old to him. I don't know, but he has a tendency to make a lot of characters with silver hair. Okay. Sora is scared, but the gray-haired kid just turns and smiles at him, holding his hand out for Sora to take it. Sora sprints to the teenager, but gets taken out by the tidal wave. Underwater again, Sora sees the teen still standing there, also underwater, completely unfazed by the wave and still holding out his hand. Sora struggles with the current and gets swept away. When he surfaces, he looks around and can't see the other guy anywhere. But he does see a girl on the shore waving for him, so he goes to her. And she's the same age-ish as Sora, who is 12 years old. Babies! She points back out at the water, and she and Sora watch as another Sora falls from the sky, unconscious, and splashes down into the water. And the Sora on the beach realizes that he is actually the Sora falling from the sky, and he falls backwards and splashes back into the water along the beach's edge, just as the other Sora broke the water. He looks up at the girl, who's above the water, as she reaches out for him, and he descends further and further into the black water below. He finally lands on an invisible platform. He stamps his foot, and the blackness fades away around his feet, revealing a stained glass window-like platform depicting Snow White holding a red apple and portraits of the seven dwarves and all her woodland creature friends surrounding her. This is the tutorial section of the game, and it's hands down one of the best tutorials I've ever played. Is it shorter than the Psychonauts one? Oh, so much shorter than the Psychonauts (laughs) one. (laughs) Sorry, I will never stop giving you shit for that one. Oh, that one's really long. (laughs) You're presented with three options, a shield, a magic staff, and a sword. You have to choose two, one to keep and one to give up. These will determine your stat bonuses in the game itself. Choosing strength and magic over defense or any combination of the three. Then we go through and learn the basic controls while moving to different stained glass depictions of different Disney princesses. What would you suggest for players? It really just depends on how you want to be playing. If you want to play a very physical character, I would keep the sword and maybe get rid of the shield or maybe get rid of the magic staff. But if you want to be a much more magic-focused character, you want to pick the magic staff and get rid of the sword. Okay, so there's no like secret like, yeah, but you should really do this. It truly is however you play. Yeah, it's just how you want to play your game. 
You learn to fight these tiny little inky black creatures with yellow glowing eyes called the Heartless. Bendy. Yeah, they do look a lot like Bendy. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, shit. I played this when it came out a million years ago, so I do not really know what happens in it. I mean, little baby Bendies, like the uh, the sludge people that came up out of the ground. God, I don't remember what their names were. I think the, like the Lost or the Forgotten or some shit like oh, that. Oh, no. The Forsaken. All the while, an unvoiced narrator is talking to Sora through text on the screen, giving instructions, and it keeps talking about a door that is not ready to open yet. But it will be soon. This all culminates in a battle with a gigantic heartless. Oh, shit. And those are the, those dark things. Yeah, that's the dark things. And the fight doesn't go great, and he starts to pull Sora down into a pit of darkness. Oh, no. And the unvoiced narrator says, you possess the mightiest weapon of all. And to not forget, you are the one who will open the door to the light. Sora fully succumbs to the darkness and gets pulled down into the ground. And then suddenly, he's awake. For real this time. <laughs> that is a stressful fucking dream. Like, I've, ha I've had mushroom dreams. I've had, you know, Claritin dreams. Like, I've had, like, hospital-induced dreams. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> Man, he is not okay. He's on an island called Destiny Island, and it is more or less where Sora lives. He was taking a nap on the beach, and the girl from before pops into his frame of view and spooks Sora from his nap. I think anything would spook him from this, that nap. That nap's fucking terrible. Yeah, and this is Kyrie, one of Sora's best and closest friends. He tries describing the vision he just had, but she just blows him off, saying it was just a dream. Sora asks Kyrie about the town where she grew up, but she says she doesn't really remember it. Besides, she's happy where she lives now. But Sora says he wants to go there with her someday, and along with any other places there are to see, because small-town island life is just not for him. He's really just itching to get out of his hometown. <laughs> yeah, and the gray-haired teen, whose name is Riku, comes over and is like, what about me? Were you guys just going to leave me here while you go exploring? I mean, with that attitude, yeah, man, you're being kind of a dick. Well, besides, how are you going to go explore different worlds when the raft isn't done yet? And the three best friends that anyone could have agree <laughs> to never, ever, ever leave each other, and they <laughs> run off together to build their raft. Hell yeah. As night falls, the three discuss the things they want to see on their travels. Riku wonders why, if there are other worlds out there, did they end up on this tiny island? What's the point of that? Everyone's having such a crisis about, like, who they are and why we're here right now. Everyone's having a full philosophical nightmare. Well, it becomes clear that Sora and Kairi's desire to leave Destiny Island is largely due to Riku's rhetoric that clearly they've been listening to for a long time now. Oh, no. And Riku says that it's because Kairi moved to Destiny Island that he ever thought of it to begin with. He didn't know there were other places besides the island until she moved there from somewhere else. Huh. And he thanks Kairi for opening his eyes, and she's like, you're welcome. <laughs> Do they have parents? Yes, we'll get into that. Okay. Because they seem very in control of their travel, which is not what a 12-year-old is usually able to do. We'll explain all of that. Don't okay. worry. They start to head home, but Riku stops Sora and tosses him a star-shaped fruit called a Paupu fruit. Aw, fruits. He says he remembered Sora wanted one, so he got him one. He explains that when two people share a Paupu fruit, their destinies become intertwined, and the two will be a part of each other's lives forever. It's a love fruit? And Riku teases Sora because he knows a certain someone Sora would love to share this Paupu with. <laughs> when you're 12... You should not make decisions about who to spend the rest of your fucking destiny with. 
Yeah, and Sora's all like, what? No. <laughs> I love that this is also Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Super convincing. And the three head off to their respective homes for the night. Meanwhile, across the universe, <laughs> we see Disney Castle. And we hear the Mickey Mouse Club theme play in the background as <gasps> Donald Duck, Aww. dressed as a wizard, walks through the halls of the castle. And in a great visual gag, Donald approaches a 30-foot-tall door with the classic Mickey ears silhouette emblazoned on it. He knocks, and then a much smaller door, normal size, <laughs> opens and Donald walks through it. I love that. <laughs> that will never not be funny to me. And he goes to greet the king, but the king is missing. His trusty companion, Pluto the dog, is sitting behind the throne, holding a letter with the king's symbol on it. Donald reads the note and goes tearing ass through the castle, screaming in terror. I don't like the idea of a duck tearing ass, but go on. He finds the royal guard, Goofy, who's dressed as a knight. Okay, off the bat, I have issues. (laughs) (laughs) Why the fuck would your head of security be Goofy? And he is napping in the castle garden. That's why you shouldn't have your head of security be Goofy. (laughs) This is a world where you can have dragons, like... Train Maleficent to just be the dragon in front. Have fucking Rapunzel's mom do it. She's actually pretty good at security if you think about it. Why the fuck is Goofy, whose name is Goofy, do this? Tangled came out like 15 years after this game. The concept was there. (laughs) And Donald says, there's an emergency and that Goofy can't tell anyone. And Goofy says, not even Queen Minnie or Daisy? And Donald says, especially not them. (laughs) To which Goofy says... Good morning, ladies. You never get bitches involved in this shit. You handle this shit internally. Yeah, Queen Minnie and Daisy are standing right behind Donald, of course. Mm -hmm. And they both look at Donald with a look of, okay, so what are you trying to hide from us? (laughs) And the scene fades away as Donald takes a nice big gulp of guilt. Gulp? One of those? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. They're idiots. They're fucking stupid, and they have no sense of what's going on around them. This is great. We're doing great. We're back on Destiny Island with Sora, and he's hanging out with some of his other friends, all of whom are Final Fantasy characters, being children versions of Tidus and Waka from 10 and Selfie from 8. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Like, I'm assuming this isn't technically canonical, but how cute would it be if it was like, remember when we grew up together with those weird kids on the island? Yeah, exactly, right? None of it is canonical. You're absolutely right. Waka points out a cave he intends to explore and wants you to check it out because there's a door in there that nobody can open. Sora goes into the cave, as he's been in there many times before, and he examines a cave drawing on the wall. It's of himself and Kairi, and he flashes back to when they were much, much younger, and they drew each other's side portrait on the wall. Oh, cute! And it cuts back to the present, and Sora is drawing on the wall again. This time, he's adding himself giving the Paupu fruit to Kairi. Aww. And the scene is interrupted by a voice. A deep man's voice. The voice of the unimaginable bastard, Billy Zane. Shut up! Wait, Billy Zane is in this? The bad guy from Titanic. (laughs) I'm so upset that was your pull for Billy Zane. (laughs) He's in the cave with Sora, and he's wearing a brown robe that covers him head to toe like a tall Jawa from Star Wars. This is definitely not the same guy from Zoolander. No. He says he has come to see the door to this world. The cloaked man says the door has been connected to the darkness, and soon Destiny Island will be taken over by it. 
And Sora's like, whoa, you're from another world? And the man is like, you really don't get what's happening, do you? <laughs> Sora says, well, I'm going to go explore other worlds, and through that, I'll find out what's happening. Hell yeah. And Cloak Man asks Sora, how will he learn when he has zero frame of reference for what reality is? And then the man disappears, leaving Sora with his thoughts and confusion. This is so the most, like, psychology or philosophy 101 shit, like. A lot of it is, but remember, they're talking to a 12-year-old. Yeah, they probably thought it was deep. Never I'm mind. 12 and this shit is deep. Yeah, exactly. Fuck, never mind. You good, you good. Later that day, Sora gets challenged to a race by Riku. Whoever wins the race gets to share the palpu with Kairi. <gasps> Why isn't Kairi involved in this? And Sora's like, why would I want that prize? Who cares? Girls have cooties. I don't like Kairi. You like Kairi. Shut up. Also, Kyrie should be involved if there's a decision being made about who they are tied to for the rest of eternity. This is not fair. I don't like that. And it's nearly impossible to beat Riku. Oh. Because you really need to work hard and level up quite a bit to beat him, more so than is reasonable to level up while on Destiny Island. To grind way too much. Yeah, because you only have a wooden toy sword to practice dueling on the other kids. That's so condescending. Yeah, and that's the only way to like level up at this point in the game. And there are those that have absolutely leveled up and beaten him. And it doesn't result in anything different happening. Because fuck you. After the race, Sora sits with Kairi and she's like, Riku's changed, don't you think? She then suggests the two of you take the raft and get off the island. Haha, kidding. Just kind of. Let's get away from this hormonal asshole. <laughs> you know what the change is? It's puberty, babe. You are all 12 years old. He's just figuring out who he is, and it's not always going to be fun. He realizes his best friends are a bunch of kids. Yeah. She says she's actually just excited to go out and explore. Now that she knows that she has Destiny Island to return to, exploring other worlds no longer seems that scary to her. And she tells Sora goodnight, and they depart. While they head home, Donald Duck, back at Disney Castle, reads the king's letter to the queen and the others. And it more or less says this. Sorry for running out unexpectedly. Shit's getting bad out there, and I'm needed. Stars are disappearing for no reason, and <laughs> I need to find out why. Oh, no. In the meantime, there's someone with a literal key to our survival. Donald and Goofy, find this person and stick with him. Go to a place called Traverse Town and find someone named Leon. He's going to point you in the right direction. Oh, yeah. Tell Minnie I'm sorry. Bye. <laughs> oh, that's not a good king. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everybody in the room, including Minnie, trusts King Mickey. And she instructs Donald and Goofy to head to Traverse Town to find Leon and this key wielder. She also sends along Jiminy Cricket to chronicle the journey. Because he knows he's going to keep the motherfuckers in check. <laughs> the three set off to the depths of Castle Disney to find something called the Gummy Ship Hanger. And on their way, Jiminy tells Donald and Goofy that his world disappeared, consumed by darkness, and that he seems to be the only survivor who made it to Disney Castle. Holy shit, that's dark. You see, other worlds are not supposed to know about each other. It's kind of like the Prime Directive in Star Trek. If you discover a primitive culture, you can't introduce technology to them. Okay. You have to leave them alone until they figure shit out for themselves. Yeah. The different worlds in Kingdom Hearts are kind of the same. They are separate from each other, and they don't know the other ones exist. Donald and Goofy need to maintain that order and can't tell anyone where they're coming from. There's no meddling allowed. Hmm. 
so in Disney Castle proper, where King Mickey resides, they're aware of all the other worlds, and they can kind of, they're understand that there's different shit going on, but they have to kind of keep this moral compass of, but let's not rock the boat or like blow anyone's brains. Yeah, they're like, we have more knowledge than them to the point that if we told them right now, it would kind of destroy them. Totally. Okay, that's kind of cool. And when they reach the gummy ship hangar, there's a spaceship in the center. Is it a, made out of gummy? It's so the game is like very polished and looks wonderful, but the gummy ship doesn't. And the <laughs> reason being is that this is kind of Tetsuya Nomura's dedication to Lego, actually. Oh. Uh, he loves Lego. He thinks of it very highly and he loves the idea of, of being able to build. So the gummy ship section of the game is a mini game in and of itself when you travel between worlds and you're kind of playing like this little jet pilot shooter game. Super fun. I love it. A lot of people hate it. It is one of the most divisive pieces of content in the entire series. And they keep bringing it back because you know what? There are those of us that do love it. Tetsuya Nomura, again, loves the whole building aspect of it. You can build your ship up throughout the course of the game, add more lasers, add more cannons. It's fucking fun. I love it, like I said. But yeah, there's a lot of people that don't. Fair enough. I fully just imagined a gummy bear that you sit inside of. So that's much more interesting than I was going with. Yeah, and this whole area is maintained by two of my all-time favorite Disney characters, Chip and Dale. Rescue Rangers! I love Chip and Dale so much, I have them tattooed on my leg. We've seen the show multiple times here in Vegas, Tom's a regular. No, that's a different <laughs> Chip and Dale entirely, come on now. Really? Yes! Neither of them are wearing pants, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> Yeah, my first memory of life is actually being at Disneyland, eating at a lunch place, and Chippendale in costume came over and started feeding me French fries. So I've got a tattoo of Chippendale holding French fries on my leg because of that. That's so fucking darling. And they've been my favorite characters ever since. My earliest child memory is watching my dad struggle to cut a tree down in our backyard, get angry, and then my mom did it by herself afterwards. <laughs> she was like, this was inefficient as shit. I got this. I'm from an island, bitch. Well, Chip and Dale get the ship ready for departure, and they load Donald and Goofy into it. Also, Jiminy is always with them, whether we see him or not. He's a cricket. He stays in a pocket most of the game. Does he offer advice? Like, is he your conscience? No, he serves as, like, the bestiary for the game and tells you how much you've completed, provides tutorials, that kind of stuff. Oh. <laughs> He's your menu. <laughs> I was going to say, like, little HUD bud. Yeah. <laughs> but Pluto also manages to sneak on board just before departure. This dipshit. And again, amazing visual gags in this game. The ship is on a platform and it rises up. A door opens and a runway of lights come into view. Another door opens and space can be seen beyond. The engines roar, the music kicks into high gear, Donald shouts blast off. And a panel beneath the ship opens up and the ship falls out the bottom of the castle and into <laughs> space from there while Donald and Goofy scream for their lives. <laughs> I love that so much. And they recover and right the ship and then blast off into the unknown to find Leon and this mysterious key wielder. Back on Destiny Island. Sora is in his bed, in his bedroom, and he looks out the window to see a storm brewing over the island. He quickly panics, thinking about the raft and that it could get destroyed in this storm. And he gets dressed, and we get the one and only cameo in the entire series, in voice form only, from Sora's mom calling him for dinner. Oh! Huh. 
As she calls for him, the camera pans around the empty bedroom because Sora already snuck out to save the raft. She is less present than goddamn Red's mom in Pokemon <laughs> Gen 1. That's wild. It's it's really hard to get less involved than her. Uh, yeah. Holy th- shit. So it's confirmed there's parents involved, but that's the last we're ever going to see of them. And he just fucks off for many adventures, clearly. Now, something that is unclear here and is retconned in a later game officially, is the fact that none of them actually live on Destiny Island. Really? What? It's pretty much implied they do in every moment of the first game, except for, like, this very moment here. I fully assume they live there. But it's Kingdom Hearts. If it wasn't confusing, it wouldn't be Kingdom Hearts. Fair enough. So, they actually live on a slightly larger island as a part of an island chain. Oh. And Destiny Island is a kind of deserted spot where the local kids like to play and they've built like tree forts and shit. I thought you were going to be like, it's a peninsula. Yeah, yeah. And like they each have their own little paddle boat they take out to get to the island. So when you were saying they seem very easy to like go around and control their own travel. Yeah. It's because, yeah, they're they're island kids. They've learned how to like paddle out and do little things like that. bop around. Yeah. Okay, that, that does give a little context for it. When Sora reaches the docks, he sees Riku and Kairi's boats tied up already at the island. And Sora gets attacked by the Heartless from the tutorial, but his toy wooden sword he's been practicing with is doing zero damage to them, and the only thing to do is run. Oh, shit. He eventually finds Riku, who is just staring off into the ocean while the storm swells around him. He says that the door in the cave opened, and now's the time to go through it. Sora says they need to find Kairi first, and Riku says calmly, not to worry. She's coming too. But I don't trust him. This is probably it. Won't be coming back. Probably won't ever see our parents again. And he's right. But can't let that stop us. We need to go through the door. But we're 12 and we should make decisions about our lives right now. Riku says he's not afraid of the darkness and holds out his hand just like he did in Sora's dream. Very casually too. Not reaching. He's just holding it out. And the ground around Riku turns black. And the dark shadows come up out of it and start to envelop Riku, who's still taking it very casually. Sora runs to help him and is soon consumed by the shadows himself. Sora reaches out and stretches as much as he possibly can while Riku still limply holds his hand out. And honestly, it's like very Renaissance, like the Sistine Chapel with Adam and God like reaching out to him desperately. Oh my goodness. But no matter how hard Sora tries... He can only barely touch Riku's fingertips, and he can't grab at him, as black tendrils of shadow pull them both apart. And they both get dragged down under the ground by the darkness. The screen goes momentarily black, and then a bright light sparks and a magical sound can be heard. And Sora finds himself back on the beach, holding a giant fucking key. And the name comes to Sora instantly. The Keyblade. The Heartless attack again, but this time, using his new Keyblade, the Heartless are actually getting killed. Hell yeah. Sora runs to the cave with the door to look for Riku and Kairi, and he finds Kairi staring at the door, which is closed. She turns around and appears sick, almost dazed. She simply says, Sora, and then the door behind her bursts open, and black tentacles of darkness come rushing from it. They push Kairi at Sora, who braces for impact to catch her, and just before they make contact, She vanishes, and Sora finds himself hugging the air. Oh, shit. The darkness pushes on Sora so hard, it throws him out of the cave and back out onto the beach. 
but the beach isn't attached to water anymore. The island is broken into a bunch of pieces, and it's floating high above the ground. And there's a giant black and orange ball of energy pulsating high above everything. Sora looks up and sees the giant heartless boss he fought in the tutorial. Only this isn't the tutorial anymore. After Sora defeats it, the ball of energy starts sucking everything into it. Sora tries to hold onto a branch, but can't, and eventually gets sucked into the ball, and the screen goes black. Now we're back with Donald and Goofy. Oh my god. Who have made it to Traverse Town, and while walking, they look up in horror as they watch a star in the night sky blink out of existence. <gasps> oh shit, just like live action seeing this shit right now. Yeah, and they agree they need to hurry and find this key before anything else bad happens. Goofy suggests finding Leon first, and Donald's just frustrated and storms off in a different direction. He has anger issues. Very much so. That is like one of the most famous things about Donald Duck is he has anger issues. It's like his whole deal is like squeaky voice, real angry. And Goofy follows Donald, but Pluto the dog goes off on his own, sniffing down a side alley. Yes, now is the time to split up. Where he happens to find a familiar young boy unconscious on the ground. And Pluto licks Sora awake, and Sora looks around like, what the fuck just happened? Why am I here? And Pluto takes off running, and Sora decides to follow him. Totally. While going through Traverse Town, he sees a man running from a Heartless. The man falls down, and a flash of light comes from his chest. He watches as a glowing heart rises up out of his chest, and gets consumed by a small version of that dark energy portal from before. <laughs> and the man disappears and is replaced by a Heartless. And this shows where the Heartless are coming from. Yeah. So it is basically taking the heart from a person, stealing it, and then because they no longer have a heart, they become a Heartless. Ugh. And a Heartless is just like a big, dark, scary figure. It's just a shadow figure, yeah. Ugh. A man appears from the shadows and tells Sora that they'll keep coming as long as he continues to wield the Keyblade. Oh, shit. And this man is very familiar to Final Fantasy VIII fans, as it's the lead protagonist from that game, Squall Lionheart. And his voice is familiar to fans of the TV series Angel, or the show Bones, as he's being played by the master of monotone brooding, <laughs> David Boreanaz. Oh, from Bojack Horseman! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's confused why the Keyblade would choose a child, but never mind, he'll just have to take it from you. And he challenges Sora to a fight. And for those unfamiliar with Squall, his weapon is a four-foot giant knife <laughs> with a gun attached to it. <laughs> Wait, that's fucking sick. Creatively called the Gunblade. I love him. This is amazing. Because the same person who came up with Keyblade also came up with Gunblade. It probably sounds cooler in Japanese. I mean, he's known for his character designs, not his naming conventions. Fair enough. So this full-grown trained soldier kicks Sora's 12-year-old ass. Reasonably. And a girl comes up behind and says, Way to go, Leon. You found the key. And Leon is the only Final Fantasy character that changes their name in the game. Huh. And I'm not entirely sure why, but I really think it was just to keep it a secret until the reveal that Leon was Squall. That's, uh, honestly, that's kind of cool. And you know what? New town, new me, let's go. <laughs> right. The girl who congratulates you is also a Final Fantasy alum, as it's Yuffie from Final Fantasy VII. I love that name, Yuffie. And this character recently got the first spin-off game in the Final Fantasy remake because she was an optional playable character in the original Final Fantasy VII, who became such a fan favorite, people actually forget you could skip her entirely. <laughs> While Sora is knocked out from the fight, 
Donald and Goofy are elsewhere in town, still looking for both Leon and the Key Wielder. And they're approached by yet another Final Fantasy VII character. The amazing and perfect in every way, hmm. Aerith. She asks if the king sent them. And we don't find out what happens as we're back with Sora as he wakes up. Kyrie is standing over his bed. And she explains that the Heartless are after the Keyblade, and will stop at nothing to get it. Sora says he's just happy to see Kyrie's okay. And Kyrie says, what are you talking about? My name's Yuffie. Oh shit. And Kyrie turns into Yuffie. Oh, poor guy. To be fair, they, they do have the same haircut. <laughs> and Yuffie's like, Squall, you hit him way the fuck too hard. <laughs> this was a child, my guy. And yeah, she called him Squall. And Squall's like, it's Leon now. Oh my god, what a dork. Oh yeah, he's so angsty teenager despite being a 30-year-old man. It happens. And he explains to Sora that he tried taking the Keyblade from him. And while he says this, he picks up the Keyblade. It stays in his hand for about a second before disappearing and reappearing in Sora's hand. Oh shit, so it, it is fully locked to Sora. Yeah, Leon says, it shows you for whatever reason, so let's teach you how to use it. And Sora's like, okay, seriously, what the actual fuck is going on? I'm a child. And the amazing directing of this series really kicks into high gear. As we flash back and forth between Aerith explaining to Donald and Goofy and Leon explaining to Sora. Okay, cool. And they explain the different worlds and how they're disconnected, but they're disappearing. And the people who managed to escape are all coming to Traverse Town for some reason. Oh, like there's the, the loose orphans that made it out of their worlds just end up there. Before stars started disappearing, Traverse Town didn't exist. Oh, shit. It's, it's like a port that opened up for the lost souls. Like it exists out of necessity at this point. Oh, no. And the Heartless are the ones taking over these worlds. And they are drawn by the darkness in the hearts of people, which everyone has some darkness. And when these worlds become overrun with Heartless... They become lost in the darkness and disappear. They then mention a man named Ansem. He was a scientist studying the Heartless to figure out how to eradicate them. He compiled his findings, but the Heartless found those findings and scattered the pages amongst the worlds. And Donald and Goofy deduce that this is what the king must be after. Goofy is like, well, let's help find these pages so that way we can get them back to him. But Donald, who literally grabs the camera and pulls it down to get himself into frame, <laughs> says they need the key first. The Keyblade is then explained to be the one thing that can defeat the Heartless, which is why they're now after Sora. And Sora's like, well, I don't want this to be my life. Yeah, Sora's like, I'm 12. I was supposed to go to dinner like two hours ago. I am starving. Yeah, and they say, tough shit, the Keyblade chooses the master, much like the wand chooses the wizard, or Buffy is the chosen one, or Harry Potter, or any chosen one prophecy from a problematic creator, really. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you want it or not. You are the chosen one. Accept it and move on. And Sora asks, what happened to his friends, Kairi and Riku? But Leon really has no idea. But it doesn't matter, though, because the Heartless find the room you're in and attack. And Leon sends Yuffie to find help. She runs through a door and into the adjoining room where Aerith had been sitting with Donald and Goofy the entire time. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, right next door. Wait, that's a pretty good gag. <laughs> right? I like that a lot. <laughs> and Sora gets into a chase with some Heartless and runs out of the hotel they were in and out into the streets of Traverse Town. Donald and Goofy get confronted by a couple Heartless on the balcony of their hotel room. 
but they don't have a Keyblade with them, and they quickly get their asses kicked. So kicked, in fact, they go flying off the balcony and down to the street below. And Sora looks up, just in time to be pancaked by the two, landing on top of them. <laughs> oh no. And they all lay on the ground recovering when Donald and Goofy see that Sora is holding a giant fucking key. They're like, hmm, we're looking for one of those. No time to talk just yet, though, as the three of them have to team up for their first time and fight a nice big boss heartless. Nice. And Disney did not want Donald and Goofy to appear violent. Oh. So Goofy uses a shield as his weapon because he is the knight. So he's truly just like on the defensive here, just... I'll hold you back. Yeah, and it's not the same way like Captain America uses his to throw his or anything. He kind of just like pushes and shoves a lot. Okay, fair enough. Linebacker. Yeah, and then Donald Duck being a wizard, he casts magic at enemies using his magic staff. So it doesn't look like he's swinging or throwing. He's more of just poofing. Yeah, exactly. And they explained that they were looking for a way to defeat the Heartless, and they were told to look for the Keyblade. The Keyblade can be used to lock the doors to other worlds and prevent the Heartless from infecting those worlds. Sora asks if they think they'll find his friends on the way, and Donald says, of course we will. And Goofy pulls Donald aside like, uh, we don't even know if they're alive. How are we going to do that? <laughs> can you not promise that we'll find missing children on this trip? Well, Donald goes, who cares? We need him to help us find the king. Maybe we'll find them on the way. Maybe we won't. Oh, that's a little mischievous for Donald. A little bit, right? And Sora agrees to go along with Donald and Goofy, as it's the only way to look for his friends. But they say he can only come on the condition that he's not allowed to be sad. What the fuck? If, Wait! Hey, <laughs> if he's going to come along with cartoon characters, he has to act like one. So only happy faces allowed on this journey. This is like the family vacation from hell. We are going and you are not allowed to show emotion that I do not agree with the entire fucking time. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and Sora, who is clearly going through horrible depression right now, yeah. gets a whole ass like drum roll as he prepares a smile. Oh, honey. But it's the smile of a depressed person and <laughs> not very convincing at all. <laughs> yeah, he's 12. He's hitting his... Hormones are going crazy. He just discovered he's a deeper person than he thought. He's having bad nightmares. He's never going to see his parents again. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, because it's such an unhappy face and he's clearly trying really hard, it makes Goofy and Donald laugh hysterically. <laughs> so they are for sure like extra happy because of his sadness. They're like, honestly, this is fucking great. No, it's enough to finally break the tension and the three of them team up, finally giving us the official Kingdom Hearts trio. Of Sora, Donald, and Goofy. Oh, his depression fixed everything. And the camera leaves the scene, and it appears as if we're looking down at it through a puddle of water. We're actually looking at the scene through a cauldron, and the <gasps> water is a potion. <gasps> oh, shit! And we hear the voices and see the silhouettes of several classic Disney villains talking about how they're shocked this little boy was able to defeat the Heartless. And they blame it on the Keyblade, because clearly the boy is nothing special. And the villains argue about how they can take him down, but they are silenced by the scariest of them all, as we can fully see her, Sleeping Beauty's Maleficent. I was, part of me was like, Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> Just dramatic as fuck. Now, Maleficent makes sense. Like, I think I already name dropped her as. You did, No, yeah. she's a bad bitch. She turns into a dragon. I haven't seen the movies, but 
Even, you know, when you and I met and you were like, I'm a Disney adult. I was like, I like Maleficent. I think she was fucking sick as shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And you were like, you can't even name the princess. I was like, it's Aurora. Fuck you. This is like the only one I watched as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I only fucked with her because it was the only one I watched as a kid. <laughs> That's probably true. She says that whether the darkness takes him down or he takes down the darkness, it won't matter. Either way, he could prove useful. Ooh. Love a calculated bitch. And now we're into the meat of the game from here out. Sora and crew use the gummy ship to cruise around the Disney multiverse, closing off doorways and interacting with the many characters in the Disney and Final Fantasy rosters. And there are basically two different types of world. Disney IP or original World of Kingdom Hearts. Oh. There are no actual Final Fantasy worlds in the game, just characters trying to get back to their respective ones. Well, like when you're doing Final Fantasy VII, the only one I have context for would be like, I'm in a marketplace. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, they have, they have full worlds, to be real. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. We're typically given a choice of three different worlds to explore at a time, and your level will determine how difficult the world will be for you. But you can do them in any order, really. Okay. With the worlds all being based off a different Disney IP, Sora, Donald, and Goofy encounter the characters from that story and experience an alternate reality version of that movie. Oh. And they have to because they're not allowed to meddle, so their story has to remain largely the same. Okay. And since every Disney movie has a different art style, sometimes the trio will have to change their appearance in order to blend in and not meddle with the world they're on. I liked this a lot about, I do remember this from playing it, and I, the specific one I'm going to call is The Little Mermaid, where they get, like, fishy. Yeah, we'll talk about that one a little later. Okay, that's, I really like that they kind of took that art and went with it and be like, yeah, we'll give you fun skins. How about that? And if you want to know what happens in those Disney movies, watch those Disney movies. <laughs> they're available anywhere. They're on Disney+, Plus and they're all classics for a reason. But from here out, I'm going to assume you know what happens in Aladdin, Tarzan, or any other Disney movie. I'll talk about some of the major changes that tie into the Kingdom Hearts story, but for the most part, the plots of these levels, I'm going to make a lot of assumptions about your guys' knowledge of Disney movies. I think that's fair. For, I don't think you're <laughs> making a crazy leap there. Yeah, for example, while on the Alice in Wonderland world, they follow the White Rabbit to the Queen of Hearts. Oh, that's fun. Who is holding Alice on trial for trying to steal the Queen's heart. Sora's group says they know who really tried to steal her heart and that it wasn't Alice. They can't tell anyone it was a heartless or what a heartless is, but they manage to find the one who was bothering the queen and defeat it. And when they go to set Alice free, she's gone. Oh, shit. And not even the queen knows what happened. But the heartless for this world were defeated and Sora locks the door to Wonderlands so they can't come back. Another world we can travel to is Mount Olympus from Hercules. Here we can fight in a tournament that we can come back to many times throughout the game, and most RPGs have a Colosseum-style event, and this is no exception. However, unlike most RPGs, the Colosseum is plot-relevant. Oh. Sora is initially denied a chance to enter by Hercules' trainer, Phil, since <gasps> he's just a kid. Oh, Phil, little fucking, what is he, like a half-hog man situation? Some shit like that with little horns and shit? Yeah, the little fawn. <laughs> Better name than I came up with. Yeah. <laughs> who in the movie is voiced by the incomparable, iconic Danny DeVito. <gasps> does he come in this game? Unfortunately, he does not. Fuck me. No, he is one of the very, very, very few. Like some of the biggest celebrities that played the characters yeah. did not come back. Oh. Uh, however, 
the villain from Hercules, the incomparable Hades, played by original voice actor James Woods, offers Sora an entrance ticket. He will never not be Hades. He, he will, loves Hades. He would do that if Disney needed him for anything, like commercials, who gives a shit. He'll do Hades as like line fucking announcements in Disneyland proper. Yeah. He'll be like, it's raining and I'm Hades. You know, like he loves being Hades and he's so good at it. It's like the only thing he's good at, too. <laughs> He's really good at it. No, the one that plays Phil is the voice actor from the cartoon series of Hercules. Oh, didn't realize that happened, but totally get it. But James Woods always played Hades on the Hercules animated series, too. So he's like, it's always sunny in Greece. Let's go. And this is all just an elaborate ruse to get Sora killed anyway. And he sends his best assassin to do the job. Oh, shit. Who's his best assassin? Rising tournament champion, Cloud Strife, the lead protagonist from Final Fantasy VII. And he's voiced for the very first time in a game by soap opera actor Steve Burton, who impressed Tetsuya Nomura so much with his performance as Cloud that he remained the voice of Cloud through every iteration of the character from the Final Fantasy VII sequel film Advent Children to just before the remake. Damn, so he got a lot of work out of that. That's what's up. He really did, and it was supposed to be just a very small part for this game. That's impressive. And Cloud proceeds to make fun of the literal devil for being afraid of a little kid. <laughs> it's like, you are the god of hell. What is wrong with you? Cloud does not want to kill Sora because there's a contract he has with Hades that states he only has to kill Hercules. And Hades explains that in order to get to Hercules, he has to go through Sora. So he might as well kill him while he's at it. I fully heard the James Wood in your voice, even <laughs> in that very light delivery. Just you, you can't not hear that performance. It's, it's so, so good. good. Yeah. Go ahead. Sora manages to take down Cloud because he's a better fighter now. And Hades decides to unleash Plan B. Is that embarrassing for Cloud to get defeated by a 12 year old? Or is he kind of like, I'll give you this one. I'm not going to stab a child. Yeah, I don't think he was trying as hard as he okay. could. Okay. So Plan B is Hades 30 foot tall three-headed pet dog <gasps> named Cerberus. I love Cerberus. I love Cerberus in every iteration I see him. Whenever I see a three-headed dog, I'm like, hell yeah, go off. And Hercules jumps down and comes to the rescue and attacks Cerberus. He can go the distance. And Sora's like, yo, I don't want to fight Cerberus. <laughs> and he runs off. <laughs> go yourself. <laughs> it's just a lot of pressure for him. I'm so upset right now. <laughs> Tom and I watched uh, fucking Encanto when it came out and everyone was going so hard on the music and I just kept hearing this Hercules yo I don't want to fight service and it's the nasliest dumbest fucking line in anything ever and I've gone on every time Tom puts it on I'm like fuck this song the rest of it is cool as shit and then there's this stupid ass line in the middle of it how long are we into this in my own like minute two of this rant I'm so sorry this this game is stressful and triggering for me I am under a lot of pressure right now it's just it's it's on my shoulders I can't help it I hate that fucking line so goddamn much. While he's running away, he looks back and sees Cloud is actually out cold, and Hercules is having trouble fighting Cerberus while also keeping Cloud safe. So they return to help finish the job. After defeating Cerberus, Phil congratulates Sora and tells him he still has a long way to go before he can be called a true hero, despite defeating Cerberus. Because he's still a zero, and you have to go from zero to hero. I liked Hercules a lot. After Sora leaves, Herc admits he'd taken Cerberus almost all the way down before Sora showed up anyway. Oh, that's okay. 
Sora sees Cloud outside and asks why he helped Hades to begin with. And Cloud says Hades promised to help him find someone he lost. And Final Fantasy VII fans know exactly who he lost, but Andrea hasn't got that far in the game yet, so I'm not (laughs) going to spoil that. They haven't released that part of the remake yet. Cloud and Sora part as friends. After they leave, Hades is seen pissed as fuck that his plan didn't work. But then tells himself to calm down. All the pieces are in place. It was a long shot he would die this time around anyway. Next tournament, he'll get him for sure. And yeah, he keeps trying to kill you throughout all the different tournaments that you come back for. That's like his whole deal. He makes commission off of death. Exactly, right? Yeah, you can't expect him not to act like that. Like, he wins regardless. Sora kills all those other things on his way through the tournament. Yeah, he's still cashing those checks, so it's fine. (laughs) Now we come to the world of one of the only Disney movies I've never seen. And it's almost entirely due to this game. Oh, shit. I said before, I'm going to assume you know the story of Tarzan. You haven't seen Tarzan? I've never seen Tarzan, and I think I understand what happens in Tarzan. Well, it's fucking Tarzan, and you've heard that story a million times, so just, you know what's a good substitution? George of the Jungle. Basically the same thing, and you get Brendan Fraser. That's true, yeah. Boy raised by gorillas meets civilized humans. One's nice, one's mean. Mean one wants to kill gorillas. Tarzan stops him. Am I wrong? Nah, you nailed it. I, I've never seen it. Am I wrong? No, you... Okay. It's okay. George of the Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, but it, instead of in George of the Jungle, the mean one isn't just another man who's trying to fuck the same girl you're trying to fuck. It's your mother-in-law. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have so not good. seen George of the Jungle in so long. Oh, it's so good, I think. Well, fortunately for me, this is the only Kingdom Hearts game to feature Tarzan, as there were separate rights that even Disney had to license for the character Tarzan. Really? Oh, because it's a public domain character? He's not, no. Oh. Uh, Squaresoft lost the rights after the first game as they changed names to Square Enix. And the estate of Edgar Rice Burroughs, the author of Tarzan, didn't grant new rights to the new company. Oh, that's fascinating, actually. But anyway, this world is divisive. Because I know a lot of people who consider it the best. But I really don't like it. And it's Mm. probably because for its size... It's the largest of all the Disney worlds. Okay. And it also just has a lot of variety to the level. You can swing through the trees on vines. You can ride on vines like you got a pair of soaps and you're grinding some sick rails. (laughs) And you can also fall to the swamps below and start all over again. Oh, that's exhausting. I hate climbs where you can fall. Like, that's one of my least favorite gaming mechanics is a climb and then a fall. And not one where it opens up a different thing. Like in Sonic, if you end up on a lower track, it's... A track. Right. You, you don't you can still kind of manage. You don't have to restart your shit. I get you. Yeah. A bottomless pit is the only thing that's gonna kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Not you have to start all the way over and climb up. Yeah, I hate those kinds of like game mechanics. Anyways, I think they're going for variety. I thought it was tedious. It happens. Tarzan can't speak very well, and when Sora explains he's looking for his friends, Tarzan takes him to meet his own. The nice one and the mean one, Jane and Clayton. Clayton says he thinks Kairi and Riku must be with the gorillas. <laughs> Those damn, it, it feels a little scapegoaty. Like. Oh yeah, he just wants Tarzan to show him where the gorillas live. <laughs> Maybe your friends are with that treasure you've mentioned. Yeah, exactly. And Tarzan takes them and Clayton immediately shoots at one. Oh my god. It was the one that I think was played by Rosie O'Donnell in the movie. Oh, his homie, yeah. Yeah. This causes literally everyone to turn on Clayton. 
absolutely. And he tries to back out of it saying he was shooting at a snake that was slithering near the gorilla. They're like, we love snakes. Fuck you. And nobody buys it. And Jane kicks him out of the jungle for being a dick. Hell yeah. And he's like, I'll show you how much of a dick I'm not. And he joins forces with the Heartless so he can hunt down the gorillas faster. In what world? (laughs) This is why he doesn't get pussy. (laughs) Yeah. And the trio chases Clayton to the gorilla lair and stop him from killing any. And one of the giant Heartless that he befriended gets killed by Sora. And it falls on Clayton and crushes him to death. Hell yeah. And the gorillas show Sora where the door for their world is. And he locks it back up for them. Good shit. We then see the scene through the villain's cauldron again, and they're talking about everything that's happened so far. Now, the villain's cauldron, does this include villains we've already seen interact, like is Hades there? So, like, the first time we were there, we heard Hades' voice, but we didn't see his face. Okay. Uh, He is no longer with them after this. He's busy. Yeah, (laughs) once you kind of visit their world, that villain stays at that world. That makes sense, though, because they're like, okay, they're rolling up on my shit. I have to go swing at it. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Wait, was Clayton there the first time? Clayton was not on their team. Okay. But they were impressed with how close he came to doing what they haven't been able to do yet. Gotcha. So they were just like, he should be a villain. (laughs) Yeah. And Maleficent says that Sora is still blissfully unaware of their other plan involving the princesses. Oh, shit. Oh, right, because Alice disappeared and shit. One by one, they're capturing them, and Alice gets pushed into frame as the villains laugh. (gasps) And if you had actually done this world before the Wonderland one, Snow White gets pushed into frame instead. Oh, okay. The trio heads back to Traverse Town to check in with Leon and to get some modifications made to the gummy ship so they can travel further. While there, they encounter a group of Heartless, who are quickly dispatched by none other than Riku. Oh, shit! And Riku is way too cool and is like, oh, there you are, what's up? Just super casual. Very casual. And he tells Sora that he's been searching for him ever since Destiny Island. Sora and Riku both assumed Kairi would be with the other person, but that doesn't phase Riku. If Sora and Riku were looking, then she must be looking for them too, right? And Riku takes leadership right away (laughs) and starts telling everyone what to do and doesn't notice a heartless sneaking up on him. I kind of want to kick this kid in the shins. Is that bad? I I understand why, you know, He's, he's kind of a snot. And Sora kills this Heartless in one swift motion. Hmm. And Riku is like, what did you just do? And Sora goes, bro, I've traveled across different worlds looking for you. I've learned some shit along the way. I'm not the same kid you knew a week ago. I was just in the jungle. And Goofy goes, yeah, and he's the Keyblade Master, so watch out. (laughs) Hyping his boy from the back line like, yeah, that's what's up. And Riku picks up the Keyblade and holds it high over his head. And it doesn't disappear from his hand. Oh, shit. Sora tries to grab it, but is too short. And Riku just Aww. laughs at him as Sora falls over trying to get it. He's little. And then he tosses it back to him, just still laughing. He can wield the keyblade. And Sora invites him along on their adventure. And Donald argues, saying there's no room for more people in the gummy ship. <laughs> Sora... It was made by chipmunks, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> they have a different, like, scale for size. Yeah, we can barely fit Goofy's dumbass in here. Sora and Donald bicker over this fact, but are interrupted by Goofy, who points out that Riku's gone. Oh my god. And Sora's like, damn, but at least he's alive. We don't love him. We next see where Riku ran off to. Oh. He's with Maleficent. God damn it. 
and they're peeping through a hotel window at Sora, Donald, and Goofy. She tells Riku that while he was out searching for Sora and Kairi, Sora had replaced them both with new friends, and they were off doing shit completely <gasps> unrelated to finding Riku and Kairi. That's fucking petty. Look, he already replaced you. He don't give a fuck about you. I'm the only one that loves you. Well, Riku, in turn, decides to make a new friend of his own in Maleficent. Mm, that is such middle school manipulation, and I love that Maleficent stooped to that level. Oh, she is not below that at all. Yeah, she's like, I'm, I'm dealing with a sword wielder. I'll turn to a dragon. I don't give a fuck. I'm dealing with children. I'm going to pit them against each other based on friendship. <laughs> Hell yeah, bitch. In the interim, the gummy ship got the upgrades it needed, and the trio heads back out to search more Disney worlds. One of the next worlds they visit is Agrabah, the city from Aladdin. And we get a scene with the villain from that story, Jafar, talking with Maleficent. I love Jafar. Honestly, he's so ridiculous. He is one of the best Disney villains by far. I love his design of just being so stupidly like long and pointy and like dramatic. He's so fabulous. Like he his best friend's a parrot. That's just fucking cool. And the voice to go with it that Jafar oh. has. Jafar has such an intimidating, wonderful, amazing voice. He is a great villain. Again, voiced by the original voice actor for Jafar. Hell yeah. And Jafar's parrot, Iago, who is once again performed by the late Gilbert Godfrey. Shut up. Wait, they got Gilbert to come back. Oh, for they this? got Gilbert to come back. For, I mean, yeah, everybody has a Gilbert Godfrey like impersonation mm -hmm. they can do. I'm not going to do mine, but no one ever needs to. No, <laughs> exactly. Because it, it's so unique. It's perfect. I'm just my brain is just playing the Affleck commercial <laughs> instead <laughs> right. of going to anything Iago's ever said. But that's really impressive that Gilbert Godfrey got to reprise a Disney role. <laughs> I mean, rest in peace, Gilbert Godfrey. Hell yeah, rest in power, King. And Maleficent explains that without the seven princesses, they won't be able to open the door. So find Princess Jasmine and don't rely too heavily on the Heartless as they'll consume him too if he's not careful. Okay, so they need to be mindful of Heartless, but they're like, Let's, we still have our own fucking mission. Let's go. Yeah, they're like, work with them, but don't get taken over by them. But all of them should have been more careful because Jasmine was hiding just five feet away. <laughs> and she heard everything. Jasmine is one of the savviest princesses, especially of that generation. Her best friend, you know, Jafar's best friend, talking bird. Totally get it. Great for like oversight <laughs> communications. Jasmine's best friend was a fucking tiger. A giant-ass tiger who proved useless, by the way. Yeah, but still. <laughs> her friend was a tiger. That's fucking sick. She's running around in her crop top and her sweatpants like she's a goddamn cute-ass Gen Z bitch out here. Her, she's, she's a cat girl. I love her. She was ahead of her time. Absolutely. She, the world wasn't ready for Jasmine. Hundreds of years ahead of her time. Absolutely. And that's the biggest difference, though, between the story of Aladdin in, in this section, though, is like, instead of hunting Jasmine down to marry him, Jafar needs to hunt her down for Maleficent's plan. Hell yeah. Well, we're starting to divert. <laughs> we're getting off bit. the rails here. Sora finds Jasmine hiding while exploring Agrabah, and she tells him what she heard. She wants help finding her new friend Aladdin, because she thinks he can help. And he's cute. But Jafar shows up, and we find out Aladdin is in some cave looking for a treasure of some kind. Oh, we're that early on in the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoopsies. Jasmine escapes, and Sora fights off some Heartless, and then heads off to the mysterious Cave of Wonders to find this Aladdin guy. I love, oh, they did such a good job on the art in Aladdin, like the first one. It's so fucking beautiful. Oh, I yeah. can still see that crazy tiger mouth opening thing. It's fucking sick. 
And they get there, they fight, they find Aladdin, do the whole magic carpet through the collapsing cave bit, barely nice. escape to the desert, and then get surrounded by Heartless. Oh, shit. And Aladdin pulls an oil lamp out of his pocket, <gasps> rubs it, and the big blue genie shows up and snaps the Heartless away. <gasps> and while genie is not being played by Robin Williams, who played Aww. him in the first and third movies, he is played by Dan Castellaneta, <gasps> who voiced him in the second movie in the Aladdin TV series. And Homer. Yeah, you all probably know him as the voice of Homer Simpson. That's fucking great. If you're a live action girly, he's also the voice of... The radio guy, the public radio guy in Parks and Rec. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He is thoughts for our thoughts. And Aladdin is about to make his Prince Ali wish, and he explains to the trio about Jasmine and how she can't marry a street rat. And Sora goes, "Oh right, Jasmine's in trouble." <laughs> and they head back to Agrabah, and Jafar has caught Jasmine by this point. So he's not Prince Ali going in; he's Aladdin going. He is in. Aladdin going in. Okay. Yeah, because he decides to use his second wish to save her. In the chaos, Iago steals the lamp, and Genie is forced to hold Jasmine captive instead. Mm. They chase Jafar back to the Cave of Wonders, which has reopened, and they confront Jafar, who used his first wish to reveal the keyhole for Agrabah. He uses his second wish to make Genie attack the group, and his third to turn himself into a genie. Oh no. He gets trapped in his own lamp, like in the movie, and once again, they are distracted by the chaos and Jasmine gets kidnapped by an unseen force. God damn it. That's what I was worried about. Genie offers to find Jasmine as Aladdin's final wish, but Aladdin still uses his last wish to free the genie. Oh, I like that a lot. And Genie agrees to help Sora, and he acts as a summon for the rest of the game so he can help Sora find Jasmine and the other princesses. Oh, that's fucking sick, actually. Yeah, you get a few different summons throughout the game. It's pretty nice. That's cool. And a side note about this world. There's also an optional boss here, and it's just a big fucking Heartless. And the Final Fantasy games always contained a couple optional bosses that were like 10 times harder than even the final boss, just to give gamers a challenge and replay value. And you said it's optional, right? Yeah, so like... it's totally optional. Okay. And this game was no exception. It actually has like three or four. The name of this boss in particular, though, is Kurt Ziza. Kurt Ziza is a real person. And he won a Name a Boss contest that was held by Squaresoft prior to the game's release. Oh, I thought you were going to be like, and he's a dick. That's why no. they want you to kill him. <laughs> oh, no, that's really sweet. Yeah, he was a contest winner, so they gave him a, uh, a secret boss in the game. That's really cool. The unseen force that kidnapped Jasmine turns out to be Riku, of course, <laughs> working for Maleficent. Yeah. He brings Jasmine to her, and she gives a warning to the other villains to let Jafar be a lesson in what happens when you give in to the Heartless. Maleficent tells Riku that since he kept his part of the deal, she'll keep hers. And she shows him an image of Kairi, laying down, unconscious. Oh, shit. Can you see, like, where she is? No, it's literally just, like, just her, her floating, like, like her, her body, yeah. Oh, no. And, and just a blank canvas. She tells Riku to go to her and that there's a vessel waiting for him. Captain Hook from Peter Pan enters the picture, as it's his ship that will be the vessel he will be taking. Oh, that's fucking sick. While traveling between worlds, Sora's gummy ship gets attacked by a truly classic Disney creature. Monstro the Whale from <gasps> Pinocchio. Oh, that's cool. Is Jiminy like, hold up. Yeah, so Monstro the Whale is just like floating through outer space, 
and he swallows the gummy ship. The whole just fucking we're going for it. Yeah, and the group finds Pinocchio and Geppetto trying to plan their escape from the inside of Monstro. Oh, it's it's like I like that some of these you start at the beginning, like Aladdin is just fucking figuring his shout mm-hmm. his shit out, and some of these are like I'll just throw you in the middle. You guys get it. This one's old. Right. <laughs> you know what we've gone through up until here. He's a boy. He can talk and shit. Let's go. And Pinocchio goes full-blown Jason from Heavy Rain. No. And wanders off into the literal bowels of Monstro's body, (laughs) seemingly possessed and not responding to anyone calling for him. Like, buddy, what's your plan here? And while chasing him, they run into Riku. Oh, shit. So Kairi's somewhere in here. So Riku calls out Sora for hardly trying at all to find his friends. Says he just runs around showing off that fancy keyblade of his. And Sora asks if Riku has found Kairi yet. And he says, maybe, but you clearly don't care, so fuck you. Oh my god. He is the brattiest fucking kid. He can't handle that his friend has another friend. Right. And this all gets interrupted by Pinocchio yelling for help. He's gotten attacked by some Heartless, and Riku and Sora actually team up to save him. But after they save him, Riku takes Pinocchio, saying he's never met a toy with a heart before. He wants to take it from this toy and give it to someone who has lost hers. And Sora's all, wait, did Kairi lose her heart? And Riku's like, wouldn't you like to know, Keyblade boy? (laughs) Riku explains that he's just trying to save Kairi. Who cares about a puppet? But Sora won't let him hurt an innocent just to save his friend. Yeah. And the two best friends face off against each other, ready for a fight. Oh my god. Meanwhile, Jiminy Cricket runs over to Pinocchio just like check to see if he's okay. And Pinocchio sees Jiminy and weakly says, Jiminy, I'm not going to make it. Oh my God. And then a bright light erupts and Pinocchio's nose grows a couple inches. Oh. Pinocchio sees us and goes, oh, I guess I'm okay. Wait, is that how that works? <laughs> so, Because that's not really a lie. That's a fact check. Um, yeah. Actually, that's not a lie. <laughs> that's, you should be like, hey, I don't have diabetes, and if it grows, you're like, ah, shit, I gotta eat more vegetables, you know? (laughs) You can actually use this, like, look at someone and be like, hey, you're healthy, and if it grows, you're like, man, you gotta go to the doctor, like, it's not broken. You are overthinking this visual gag entirely. Well, that's because it matters, and it's canonical, and now I have a lot of questions. Well, instead of fighting, bitch-ass Riku summons a big-ass Heartless, and then opens a portal and disappears through it. Fuck you. So fight, 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 win, 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 and Monstro sneezes everyone out of his body. Because <laughs> he's like, this is too much drama for my guts. And Geppetto and Pinocchio end up moving to Traverse Town, and he opens a toy shop there. Oh, this town is booming, by the way. Yeah, like, right? It came up out of nowhere over the last, like, let's call it three weeks, and it's doing <laughs> really well. Back on Captain Hook's ship, Riku is standing over Kairi's body. He asks, what can he do to save her, as he previously been told that the Heartless took her heart and left her just this empty husk of a person. Maleficent is there, and she tells him of the seven princesses of heart. She says that by combining their power, they can open the door to darkness, where all the hearts that have been stolen by the Heartless are kept. If Riku helps her capture the other princesses, they can open the door and save Kairi. In order to give Riku the best chance, she grants him the power to control the Heartless. Oh, shit. When the gummy ship makes it to Captain Hook's ship, the trio gets separated and Sora goes off to look for them. While searching the boat, 
he runs into Riku. And Riku says, you're still worried about your new friends when you should have been worried about your old friends. Oh my god, this is why you got left behind, you whiny brat. And he reveals Kairi to be there, slumped over and drained. <gasps> Sora tries to run to them, but Captain Hook intervenes. Sora warns Riku about what he's seen happen to people who work with the Heartless. But Riku goes, I don't work with the Heartless. The Heartless work for me. You are still in the same organization. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb bitch. And they throw Sora into the brig to be guarded by the Heartless that Riku controls. Mm. And I also want to take the time to say that, like there are countless different types of Heartless, not just one. They're just like the faceless bad guys of the series, and you get to kill a wide variety of them. Like in terms of shape and size and... Yeah, and Ooh. form and everything, from little ones no taller than Sora's waist to monstrous ones that stand 30 feet tall. Now, you mentioned that the art style changes with Sora and the gang as they go property to property. Do the Heartless change as well? They do, yeah. So some oh. of them are humanoid, some of them are animal-based, and it really just depends on where your location is. Like, for example, the Heartless on the boat look like pirates with swords. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. I like the gamification of it. That's really sweet. Now, fortunately for Sora, Donald and Goofy were already locked up along with Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Peter wants to rescue Wendy, who is also captured by Captain Hook and Riku, and agrees to help. Meanwhile, Riku informs Captain Hook that Wendy is not one of the seven princesses, and that he's to ditch her and help him go off to find the others. And Captain Hook is like, who the fuck is this teenager telling me what to do on my goddamn ship? <laughs> And he tries to undermine Riku, telling him Kairi's heart's gone, and even opening the door is not going to help, so who cares about this? But Riku wants and needs to believe Maleficent, and he orders Captain Hook to follow his command. Captain Hook's first mate, Mr. Smee, calls the captain and tells him that Sora and Peter have escaped, so Riku orders the two prisoners be brought to him, meaning Wendy and Kairi. Sora confronts Riku, and Riku picks up Kairi, and steps through a portal, leaving Sora and crew to fight Captain Hook and his men. And they do, and they win, and Captain Hook tells Sora that Riku went to a place called Hollow Bastion, which is where Maleficent resides. There are also a couple worlds I'm not going to get into, as they're not required, and therefore don't have any main story content. It's just following the movie story for funsies. Yeah, and then some of them are fun and some of them aren't, because they're very much just following the story like you said. For example, Atlantica for the Little Mermaid level. Swimming sucks. But it's so cute to see Sora as a merman. Yeah, water levels in general suck, but this is Facts. one of those levels, like you said, they have to change their appearance, and Sora becomes a half dolphin or like half shark. They don't really specify. Donald becomes half squid. <laughs> That's stupid. And Goofy becomes mostly turtle. Oh. And in a funny moment, King Triton figures it out pretty quickly. They're from another world. <laughs> because mermen don't have fucking dorsal fins. So it's like, they tried, and everyone's like, you're a little wrong. And whatever the hell Donald's supposed to be doesn't exist. <laughs> so you guys are creatures I'm not familiar with. What's going on with that? Yeah, anyway, Ursula's motivations are heartless-based, and she never even turns Ariel into a human before being defeated. So, like, it's, again, mostly the same story, not too much difference. Shit's weak. Same goes for Oogie Boogie in the Nightmare Before Christmas world, and it's arguably the best world, I'll admit. But it's mostly the same story. It's just all heartless-based motivations instead of Christmas-based. What are the creepy versions in that one? Like, are they, like, Halloween-y? 
Yeah, everything's just Halloween-y. They're, they're mummies, you know. Oh, cute. That kind of stuff. It's also another appearance change for the gang. And like, Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. They look super fucking cool. Oh, you mean like the, the gang themselves? Yeah. Yeah, so Sora just, get, he just looks like he's in a Halloween costume, really. He's got like this little pumpkin, like, I don't even know what to call it, like barrette <laughs> almost okay. he's wearing. But Donald, he's like a, a mummy as well. He, and cute. like half, his middle half is missing, so it's all invisible and stuff. It's pretty <gasps> great. That's neat. I think Goofy is like a scarecrow or some shit. And then there's also the Hundred Acre Woods for a Winnie the Pooh level. Oh. But that one's so pointless, there's not even Heartless in that level. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is too innocent for anything. Way too innocent, yeah. He's just lost all his friends and he needs them back. Oh. But this is very much the grind portion of the game, leveling up and finishing off any side quests that haven't been completed. Eventually, we see Riku in Hollow Bastion talking with Maleficent. And she's mad at him for continuing to teleport all over the place. That's a power steeped in darkness, and if he's not careful, he's going to lose control. Uh-oh. Probably not foreshadowing. They hear a loud roar, and she tells him not to worry. It's someone from another world who somehow chased the Heartless to Hollow Bastion when they kidnapped his princess. <gasps> Ooh. She then says she wants to unlock Riku's full potential, and grants him even more power to control the darkness and the Heartless, even though she just warned him against that very thing. The trio regroups in Traverse Town before heading to Hollow Bastion. They remind Sora about the no sad faces rule, <laughs> and Sora is sick of their shit. Absolutely. How can they be so happy when one of his friends turned evil, <laughs> the other's in a coma, and they've seen zero sign of the king? Oh my god. And Goofy reminds him, their mission was to find the Keyblade Bearer and to stick with him. So they're killing it as far as that mission is concerned. <laughs> Well, by my standards, I'm doing great. So you're just being dramatic. Like, and if we're doing so well on that mission, there's no reason to think we're going to fail at these other ones. That is horrible logic. If an employee came to you and said some shit like that when you're like, how's your project going? He's like, well, I was supposed to make a to-do list and I fucking did it. So what do you think's <laughs> happening? And you'd be like, are you, f what? Hey, open heart surgery looks like murder halfway through, okay? <laughs> and you shouldn't be smiling about it. <laughs> well, Sora just has to believe. Oh my god. And suddenly, Sora hears Kairi's voice say, I believe in you, Sora. Oh. And Sora gets a flash of memory that is not his own. He's seeing a very, very young Kairi, talking to an old woman. Gulman goes on to tell Kairi about where darkness originated. In the beginning, people got along. But then they started fighting over resources and status. Darkness crept into their world and took it over, eventually destroying it. The only pure hearts left were that of children. Aww. And the children created a new world, one of pure light. But the children grew up, and the same darkness is now taking over that world. The only hope is to one day open the door to darkness, so that the light remaining can penetrate and destroy it. So, is this game about the magic and naivete of children and defeating the cynicism of adulthood there's a lot of metaphors you can take from this via disney uh, i think the answer to all of your questions is yes this is a game that is focused on taking adults and making them disney adults through the <laughs> magic and innocence of childhood and reminding them that being sad about grown-up shit is stupid <laughs> yep Okay, I, I get why it made sense as a crossover hit. It's I'll a, give you that. It's a little Peter Pan in that aspect. Yeah. And then their world disappears around them, and little Kyrie wakes up on Destiny Island for her first time. 
Sora comes back to his own reality and asks inside his own head, uh, Kairi, what did you just do? But he receives no response. They finally decide it's time to head to Hollow Bastion. We see a scene of Riku confronting that intruder that followed the Heartless here. It's the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. I was thinking it might have been Scar. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Riku asks how he got there, and Beast says that he just believed he would find Belle. And he was brought to Hollow Bastion, so by that logic, it means Belle must be here somewhere. Riku challenges Beast and strikes him down with a single swipe of his sword. Oh, shit. Sora shows up just as Beast falls, severely injured. He tells Riku to stop. Riku monologues about how the two of them have always had a playful rivalry, pushing each other to be better. But there can only be one Keyblade Master, not two. And Riku holds out his hand, and Sora watches in fear as the Keyblade disappears from his own hand and reappears in Riku's. Oh, shit. And even Riku's surprised that this worked and says, wow, Maleficent was right. That was a freebie. I am the Keyblade Master. Riku says that he's going to complete Sora's mission instead and unlock the door with the Keyblade. And everyone is shook because they all thought only Sora could wield the Keyblade. Yeah. And Riku tells them that Sora wasn't the wielder. He was just the delivery boy. Then he tosses Sora his old wooden toy sword from back on (gasps) Destiny Island and tells him to defeat the Heartless with that. Oh my god. Riku turns and walks away while Sora drops to his knees, defeated. Then, to add insult to injury, Donald turns to Goofy and says, Goofy, remember the mission. (gasps) Oh shit! And they begrudgingly follow Riku leaving Sora alone with his toy sword and an injured-as-shit Beast. Oh my god. Beast and Sora regroup together and decide to work together to find their friends. Maleficent is in her chambers, and we see that she has captured six Disney princesses, Alice, Snow White, Cinderella, Jasmine, Belle, and Aurora, along with Kyrie. I feel like Alice isn't really a Disney princess. So glad you said that, because (laughs) Ariel was actually supposed to be one of the princesses. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But since they weren't going to turn her into a human in the game, they didn't want to deal with the logistics of her (gasps) staying a mermaid. Of her, like, floating and shit, just, like, near them. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, they swapped her for definitely not a princess Alice. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's like, well, I know it's... They're not all original IP, but Alice is very much her own thing, and mm-hmm. no one knows who the fuck her parents are. Okay. All of these princesses are unconscious. Wait, wouldn't it have been great if that was, like, Nala? <laughs> <laughs> they very, very much wanted Lion King in the first game. Uh, the problem was that it was, again, going to be a situation where Sora and the team would have to turn into animals. Oh, got you. And so, like, in Tarzan, they don't turn to animals. No, they stay very much the same. Only in the Little Mermaid and Nightmare Before Christmas in this game do they change into anything different. Got it. Okay, and those are kind of the ancillary ones that aren't as relevant. They're, like, kind of whatever. Yeah, so the problem with it in this game was that they would have to reprogram to have everything have four legs. Got it. That sounds like a huge pain in the ass, like changing your hitboxes and shit. It was too totally. much of a pain in the ass. I will say that they managed to figure figure it out and in the sequels that we do get lion king levels i just think it'd be really great to be like i have the princesses and it's a couple bitches and a like a cat <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i get you well all of these princesses are unconscious and she uses their power to reveal the keyhole for the door to darkness but it is only revealed not completed 
Sora and Beast, on the other side of the castle, manage to catch up to Riku, Donald, and Goofy. Belle appears down a hallway, and Beast goes chasing after her, just for him to see her turn into a heartless that was glamoured as Belle. <gasps> oh, fuck. A door slams, and Beast is separated from the rest. Riku waves his arm, and his clothing turns to armor. Oh, shit. And has a big heartless symbol on the chest. He tells Sora, it's time to give in. And he shoots a bolt of dark energy right at Sora's heart. The bolt heads towards Sora, and there's a bright flash and a bang as Goofy's shield takes the impact. Oh, hell yeah! The power of friendship, bitch! Riku yells at Goofy for betraying the king, and Goofy's like, I'm not. I'm also not betraying Sora either. (laughs) He's like, you've been a dick. Goofy tells Donald to tell the king he's sorry, but he can't follow Riku. And Donald says, we'll tell him together. And they rejoin Sora and stand between he and Riku. (laughs) Like, you have no idea how much of a dick this guy is. Suddenly, thanks to the power of friendship, Sora gains the confidence he had lost. And the Keyblade returns to his hands. Hell yeah, friendship! And an epic battle ensues. And this time, Riku is no match for Sora and his friends, and he runs off after he loses. Hell yeah. As he runs away, his armor vanishes, and he's back in his street clothes. Then he's alone, and he cries out, wondering why the Keyblade left him. And a voice we haven't heard in a long time answers. The deep voice of Billy Zane. I forgot he was in this, it's been so long. The cloaked man appears to Riku, explaining that Sora's heart was stronger, at least in the moment, and that's why it left him. But there's a power stronger than any heart. If he further ventures into darkness, he'll discover power strong enough to defeat any heart. Riku submits. His armor returns. And he rejoins Maleficent at the doorway to darkness. When Riku talks, there are now two voices coming from him. Oh? His normal voice, as well as the cloaked man's voice, layered over each other. Oh, shit! The door won't open, though. They have the seven princesses, Kairi being the seventh. But Kairi lost her heart at some point. Oh, so she, yeah, she's in a coma, she's powerless. So without it, they can't open the door. Riku holds out his hand, and a dark black keyblade appears. (gasps) This keyblade unlocks the heart from a person. And can turn them into a heartless. Oh shit, it's the sucker. Team Sora arrives. And Riku demonstrates his Keyblade's power. By stabbing Maleficent with it. (laughs) Turning her into a heartless version of her dragon form. Oh shit! And a fight kicks off. Hell yeah, I've been teasing the fucking dragon. I didn't know we were going to get the dragon this quick. Hell yeah. Yeah, Maleficent was supposed to be the only real villain in all of this. Remember we said that it was going to be like a Mickey RPG. Mm -hmm. He was going after Maleficent only. But once he started creating all these new characters, she was just more of a side villain. That's what's up. After she's slain, Riku laughs because Maleficent never realized she was already a heartless before he stabbed her. (laughs) Her heart was so far gone. All he did was change her form when he stabbed her. She kidnapped and tried to kill a child because she wasn't invited to the gender reveal or whatever the fuck. Like, yeah, she's not a good person. He then opens a portal and steps through. Sora goes running toward the door to darkness and finds Kairi, just at the base of it, unconscious. Riku reappears and explains that Kairi has been a princess the whole time and that her heart is the last one needed. But it's gone. 
And it's been gone since Destiny Islands. Oh, shit. Because she gave it to Sora. (gasps) Sora recognizes that Riku is not himself. That voice is way off. (laughs) But Riku is already making his move. He wants Kairi's heart. He has to take Sora's too. Now remember way back early in the story, we were told about a scientist named Ansem. And he was studying the Heartless when they first started to appear. And the whole game up to this point, we were running around collecting the pages of the reports across the different worlds. Mm -hmm. And by this point, we've collected most of them and have learned a lot about the Heartless. Ansem was a noble scientist who lived in Hollow Bastion. He found Heartless one day in the basement of the castle and studied them. Shortly after they arrived, he found a door with a big keyhole. It was unlocked, so he opened it and saw countless Heartless beyond it. So he closed it. He found out how they came to be. When a person would lose their heart, they became a Heartless. While studying, a king from another world came looking for the door he had found. He told Ansem about doors to other worlds and how you can open them to darkness or close them off from it. And that a weapon called a keyblade was the only thing that could open or close these doors. Ansem told the king he didn't know where the door was to this world, and the king left, promising to come back to close it once it's found. The biggest thing he learned from the king, though, was that the keyblade wielder was foretold to have the power to bring light to everyone or to send everyone into darkness. Oh, shit. Back to the action in Hollow Bastion. Sora has been separated from Donald and Goofy by a magical wall put up by Riku. Sora doesn't talk to Riku. He talks to whoever is possessing Riku and asks who they are. And they respond saying that they are Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness. Oh, shit. Riku stands over a weakened Sora and holds his keyblade over his head, ready to remove Kairi's heart from Sora's. But Sora hears Kairi's voice deep within himself, and he finds the strength and fights back, defeating Riku. And he beats him so badly, Riku drops his keyblade before teleporting away. <laughs> Sora tries to lock the doorway to darkness, but can't because the keyhole isn't complete without Kairi's heart. Oh. Open or close the door, they need all seven hearts regardless. And Sora realizes there's only one way to get her heart. Mm. Goofy and Donald see what Sora is about to do, and they yell to stop him. But Sora picks up Riku's keyblade, smiles at his friends, a real big smile, and he stabs himself in the chest with it. Immediately, Kairi's heart comes bursting from him and flies to Kairi. Meanwhile, Riku's keyblade breaks, releasing all the hearts of the rest of the princesses as the seventh heart completed the keyhole. Kairi wakes up and she watches Sora fall over. So she runs to grab him ready to catch him before he hits the ground. And just before they make contact, he vanishes, and Kairi finds herself hugging the air. No! Fuck! We see Sora falling through a pit of black, wondering just how far into the darkness he's about to sink. Back in reality, Kairi is determined to get Sora back and asks Donald and Goofy for help. But Ansem returns, and this time... Not in Riku's body, but as himself and out of his cloak. Oh, shit. And he's a very 
typical Tetsuya Nomura villain design. Just like real pointy features and long, sharp eyes. Yeah, long silver hair, tall, skinny, perfect skin, very androgynous. This is Sephiroth. Sephiroth? He, he does look a lot like Sephiroth. Sephiroth does appear in this game as one of the villain like bosses in the Colosseum. Okay. He's actually considered the hardest boss in the game, but he doesn't really look like once you see them side by side, they don't look alike. But yeah, he does a look. He has a similar look to it. Yeah, it just on a surface level is like, oh, I know who you're describing exactly. He thanks Kyrie for completing the keyhole, but she's no longer needed. Donald and Goofy ready for a fight, but Ansem is stopped by an unseen force. A ghost version of Riku appears, standing in Ansem's way, struggling to hold him back, saying he won't let him win this time. Aww. Riku tells the others to run, the Heartless are coming, and they take off. As they run, the camera focuses on one Heartless in particular. The camera positions itself over the Heartless's shoulder, and the HUD appears, and we take control of this Heartless. <gasps> We chase after Kyrie and the others, and when we catch up, Donald attempts to fight us, but without a keyblade, nothing is effective. So they stop trying to fight you, and Kyrie looks at you and says, Wait, Sora? Is that you? This is fucking sick. She walks to you, and suddenly a bunch of Heartless rise up out of the ground around you both. Kyrie grabs the Heartless Sora and says, This time, I'll protect you. And she turns and throws herself over the Heartless Sora, shielding him as the others pounce. Donald and Goofy run to the scrum of Heartless that are completely surrounding Kyrie when a light shines through them all. The Heartless vanish as Kyrie stands there, no longer hugging the air, no longer hugging a Heartless, but hugging Sora, who is alive and back in his body. This is beautiful. What the fuck? I thought this was going to be like silly shit. This is cute. No, the power of friendship once again broke through the darkness to help. The group finally escapes Hollow Bastion and return to Leon and his team and relay to them the new shit going down in Heartless Town. Leon deduces that the doorway to darkness must be the origin of the Heartless, and so they need to return to Hollow Bastion to seal it. Kyrie and Sora finally get a minute to themselves, and they talk about friendship and the connections hearts have to one another, and how that's why they'll win, because friendship. Kyrie wants to help in the final battle, but Sora says she'll just get in the way. So she gives him her lucky charm, a Paupu fruit keychain. And she makes him promise to bring it back to her when this is all done. Back at Hollow Bastion, Beast had freed all the princesses and they've taken back the castle. Leon and his team decide to move in as a couple of them are from Hollow Bastion originally in this canon, as is Kyrie, you find out. We are now able to find the last of Ansem's reports. And it shows that he actually invented the Heartless. Oh, God damn it. He was doing experiments on some imprisoned humans <gasps> and attempted to remove the darkness in their hearts to make them good people. Instead, he unleashed the darkness in their hearts and created the Heartless as a result. What the fuck? Then he kept essentially feeding people to the Heartless to see how they multiply. The doorway to darkness appeared out of necessity due to the number of heartless that were now growing. Oh my god. Somewhere to store the hearts they were overtaking. Because the heartless are really just the darkest parts of a person. The good parts are still there, beyond the door, locked away. All heartless are racists. <laughs> Not a single heartless has ever tipped over 10% for anything. 
Sora, Donald, and Goofy realize that if there's a door to darkness, then there's a door to light, too. After locking the door to darkness, they travel to the farthest reaches the gummy ship can take them, a place called the End of the Worlds, so they can find the door to light. The doorway to Kingdom Hearts. Ding. The End of the Worlds is the place where the remains of all the destroyed worlds go. So, like, the way Traverse Town is where all the people go, this is where all the worlds themselves go. Okay. But the theory is, defeat Ansem, open the door to Kingdom Hearts, and all the worlds will be restored, and this place will no longer need to exist. They do wonder what that will mean for themselves, (laughs) but decide the fate of everything is more important. Yeah. After a battle with the devil from Fantasia... Who is so fabulous and pointy, by the way. Yeah, the three step through a door and find themselves back on Destiny Island. The island starts to vanish around them, being replaced by blackness. They find Riku standing by the shore, back in his heartless armor. Ugh. He speaks, but it's only Ansem's voice coming out now. Oh no! He talks about Riku and how he was just a boy with a dream of traveling to other worlds. And he was willing to travel to the deepest depths of darkness to do so. Riku becomes the man Ansem. And he tells Sora that Riku is too far gone now anyway, and that he is in control. Making him, by default, a Keyblade Master. Damn. During Ansem's research, he realized that since every heart has enough darkness to become a heartless, then it means darkness is the heart's true form. Oof. Sora argues back, saying that every heart also has light, and even the heartless know that, and it's why they lock the light they've stolen behind a door. Ansem's like, you dumb child. Before a person is born, there's only darkness. When a person dies, there is only darkness. Darkness is all of our natural state. Jesus Christ. The amount of time you spend existing is minuscule compared to the time you spend not existing. So Sora and Ansem have to fight it out. The forces of darkness and light fighting for the right to control the door to Kingdom Hearts. And this is a Final Fantasy level boss fight, complete with a boss that has 15 different forms and attack patterns. (laughs) It is a literal god versus a 12-year-old with a key. (laughs) Key bumps versus literal rails. Like, let's go. And at one point in the fight, Sora gets taken out. Oh, shit. And he hears the voice of Riku mock him back into fighting (gasps) shape. No. He's like, come on, Sora. I thought you were better than that. Damn. As you finally defeat Ansem, he says he'll prove to you that darkness is the natural order. Because Kingdom Hearts doesn't lead to light. It leads to even more darkness. He opens the door and black tendrils come through the cracks. (laughs) And Sora corrects him saying that, thanks to the power of friendship, he knows with absolute certainty that Kingdom Hearts is light. And as he says this, bright, shining light comes pouring from the door, penetrating Ansem, weakening him to the point of exploding. He just said weakened to the point of explosion. Like, that's not a crazy thing to say. I know that makes sense in this world, but you're like, I'm so done. And then you combust is a fucking great moment. With the light free, Sora tells Donald and Goofy to help close the door. 
And the door itself is like the one in Disney Castle and is 30 feet tall and heavy as shit. Okay. <laughs> because this one did not have a tiny normal door hidden into it the way the Disney Castle one did. This was not a practical door. They push with all their might, but it's not budging. Goofy looks inside and he gasps because while the light was behind the door, so are thousands upon thousands of Heartless. And they start to charge toward the opening. Oh, shit. Donald panics, and they all try pushing as hard as they can. And Riku's voice rings out and says, Don't give up, Sora! And Riku's hand comes from inside Kingdom Hearts. And he helps them close it by pulling the door shut from the inside. But it's not fast enough. And now the Heartless are upon them, including two of the giant Heartless that Sora had to defeat way back in the tutorial. Oh, shit. Just as the Heartless are about to begin their attack, they start to vanish one by one. Oh. And we hear a whooshing sound and a keyblade attacking. As the last of the Heartless die, King Mickey appears. Oh, shit! Wielding his own keyblade. The inverse colors of Sora's. Oh. And he asks Sora to help him close this door once and for all. Riku and Mickey stay inside as more Heartless are on the way. Goofy tells Sora he can trust the king. And they push the door closed, and Riku tells Sora to take care of Kairi. The door closes, and Sora from one side of the door, and King Mickey from the other, use their keyblades to lock the door to Kingdom Hearts, causing it to vanish. As the worlds are reforming around the Disneyverse, the world they are in begins to disappear around them, leaving them on a floating rock in space. Sora turns and sees Kairi is there with them, and he runs to her. The rock they're on begins splitting in half. Kairi on one side, Sora on the other. They both run to the edge of their own rock and grab each other's hand. The ground around Kairi's feet turns into the beach of Destiny Island. But the ground around Sora's feet remains rock. Mm. Neither can move their feet, and the two land masses start to drift apart. They hold on for as long as possible, and Sora says he'll always be with her, and that he'll come back for her. She says, I know you will. The islands separate, and their hands are forced to let go. And just to kick you in the face, Simple and Clean starts playing. (laughs) Specifically the part of the song with the lyrics, please, don't go. As they keep stretching to each other, but continue to get pulled apart, until they each fade away from one another. Kairi, alone on Destiny Island, watches as the island reforms around her and millions of shooting stars fly overhead as worlds reappear in the sky. She goes into the cave that had the doorway, and in there, the door is gone. But she finds the portraits they had made as children, and for the first time sees the additions Sora had made of him sharing the Paupu fruit with her. She breaks down in tears and makes her own addition. She adds her hand, sharing another Paupu with Sora. As the credits roll, we watch everyone we've met on our journey coming home to the restored worlds, along with stills of Sora with all the friends he made along the way. And I only mention the credits because, in true Disney fashion, there are post credit scenes. Hell yeah. The first being the one everyone gets. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are walking down an endless dirt road surrounded by lush grassland. They're trying to figure out what to do next and they decide they should venture out to find Riku and the king. But they're not sure how to, because the door to Kingdom Hearts vanished after they locked it, so they have no idea where to start. 
just then, a character that was a major plot point early on and then vanished for the next 60 hours appears. <laughs> Pluto the dog comes wandering down the lane. I forgot Pluto was in this. And he's carrying a letter with King Mickey's seal on it. He runs down the dirt road and the gang takes off chasing him, ready for their next adventure, smiling the whole way. Aww. Words appear saying, remember Sora, you are the one who will open the door to the light. And we see the road goes on for miles and miles, and it fades to black. But wait, there's more. <laughs> because people who completed some specific quests got a second end credit scene. One that nobody could have predicted or was ready for. Huh. It's Blorco time. Shut up. We see Sora again on that dirt road, but he's alone. He's standing at a four-way crossroads, and words appear introducing us to another side, another story. We see a cloaked figure. Not like the one Ansem wore. This one is fitted like a uniform. It's black, hangs to just above the ground, made of leather, has long tassels coming down from the hood, and the only thing we can really see of the person is a few wisps of blonde hair showing it's not brunette-ass Sora. He's in a neon city, one we didn't see in the game, and it's more like Times Square than Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. It's late at night, and it's pouring rain, and he's surrounded by hundreds of Heartless that are bigger than the usual ones we've seen in the game. A keyblade suddenly appears in each hand, Oh. And he whoops the shit out of these Heartless in ways we never saw Sora do. <laughs> the camera flies up the side of a building, and at the very top, a blindfolded Riku stands on the edge of the building, looking down on the scene. The dual wielder looks up and sees Riku on top of the 30-story building. This hooded figure starts running up the side of the building towards Riku. Heartless are coming out of the side of the building, and the figure just takes them out one by one as he runs. He throws a third keyblade at a group, and it spins and takes them out in one move. <laughs> That's fucking sick. Riku dives off the side of the building and catches the thrown keyblade. The blonde-haired kid watches Riku fall past him as Riku swipes at the Heartless following up the side of the building. We then get images of Sora in situations not seen in the game, Kyrie, Donald, Goofy, and groups of these hooded figures standing together talking. It's a trailer to another game entirely, a much darker game. And it ends with an image of Mickey Mouse doing a bunch of flips with his Keyblade. <laughs> also wearing one of those cloaks. Oh, shit. Complete with superhero landing and looking like a straight boss. <laughs> Basically a preview of the confusion to come that is the <laughs> Kingdom Hearts series. Hell yeah. But for now, we're at... The end. Holy shit. I didn't think that would be that emotional. The power of friendship is power. God damn. It is just pure light. It is pure joy. And it has a lot of strength. Dang. That's really cool. No, that was so much more than I remember. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Oh, that moment when Kyrie and Sora get separated. Man, I'll tell you, even today, I hate how invested I am in the relationship of these 12-year-olds. <laughs> of baby virgins yeah. who are just, <laughs> you know, trying to share a fruit together. That's oh. their end game is to eat fruit. Every member, everybody remembers their first big crush. That's really beautiful. Oh, that was fun. Now, 
Have you done the remastered ones that came out? Absolutely. The 1.5. So it gets complicated, obviously. It's Kingdom Hearts. Right. So the game came out, and then a little while later, they did what was called Kingdom Hearts Final Mix. And I'm saying a little while later, like within eight, nine months uh, in Japan. It released in Japan only, and they added a whole bunch of new things. A lot of the cloaked figures start showing up in Kingdom Hearts. They are heavily involved in all of the sequels. Okay, very cool. They are this organization. It's, it's a whole ass thing. It gets very complicated after this. And then they've done 1.5, which is kind of the final mix for American version. Even then, those additional scenes, they didn't voice them. So they left the Japanese. Huh. They even left the Japanese subtitles in the scene. It's really? very strange. Just yeah. Like, fuck it. Even like on the remaster for PS4, so many years later, they still just leave it as subtitles on the screen. I don't know why, but huh, whatever. Not, not much of an explanation on it. I decided to leave this stuff out because it's. I wanted to focus so much on the original game and what we got from it. Yeah, and if we bully you enough, you'll eventually do the rest of the games. Uh, you don't have to bully me that hard for Kingdom Hearts too. I love Kingdom Hearts too. I, I would argue it's better. I think it is the better game. Only one game came out between Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, and it's a stepping stone to get to Kingdom Hearts 2 is all. Okay. A little bridge game. I it get is. You. Yeah. It just introduces the organization, and that's really the biggest thing that it does. And Kingdom Hearts 2 does a good job of explaining them if you hadn't played it. Very cool. Okay. That's what's up. After that, they don't give a fuck if you played the <laughs> other games or not. Kingdom Hearts 3 is like... We're just going to assume you did because it's all important. And they're like, fuck you. You're going to buy it. Yeah. And you're going to like it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Oh, man. That's great. I like that a lot more than I thought it, I would. I thought it was going to be a lot dumber. No, Kingdom Hearts is one of the greatest game series of all time. It has to be. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't I like love three. It. Yeah. It's true. I didn't like three. Honestly, I was all about getting a Keyblade tattoo. And then the third game came out. And I was oh, like, oh, no. I don't know if I really want one anymore, <laughs> but yeah, Kingdom Hearts 3 is problematic. That's all. Well, what if it's all fixed in 4? I would hope so. I really hope 4 fixes it all. It would be great if they did. I don't think they're going to. Okay, Devil's Avocado, if 4 is sick as shit, would you rethink the Keyblade tattoo? Yeah, absolutely. You'd be like, okay. <laughs> now it's safe again. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm rethinking it already. It's it's like, why would I let that one game out of the series ruin it for me? You don't love all the Scream movies. No. Like, still a franchise you love third one's just mediocre at best third one happened yeah, yeah. <laughs> it got us to four and uh five so. well anyway goombas um don't forget we have level up con coming february 17th to the 19th yeah in las vegas here in las vegas so come visit us there we are booth Community 03, we are kind of in the back right, right before the gaming hall at the end of the exhibit hall. We are back to back with Las Vegas Furcon, so Yay. we will be there. It'll be fun and make some friends, and we are so excited. If you come by, we will have stickers, so come get yourself a sticker. And a high five. And a sweet high five. Tom will sign your salad. That was the last con. There's no more salads to be There's had. There's no more salads. <laughs> You're just that was a limited time offer. Limited we time offer, yeah. Not doing that shit anymore. Okay. That's fine. But <laughs> no, it'll be really fun. We're really excited for that. And we are, this was the end of episode two of season six. We have a bunch more coming out every Wednesday. Why do we do Wednesdays, Tom? I'm going to explain that in a future episode. Oh, teaser. Yeah. Speaking of other episodes, we have more episodes on our Patreon that are locked behind a paywall. They are fabulous. Like I mentioned, the Tetris one is fucking awesome. We've got a lot of really cool content. 
a lot of games we're playing. We've got some DLC coming out for there. Probably not going to do any Kingdom Hearts DLC or the ancillary games, but... Yeah, maybe we'll do Chain of Memories. Like I said, it's the only one that bridges between 1 and 2. We'll probably throw that on the Patreon just before dropping Kingdom Hearts 2. Teasers! I love it! Oh, but that's not for another couple seasons, though. Yeah, but <laughs> you can stay tuned with us on Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff. We have TikTok, right? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> we can also email us... Um, some of you are weird on there, and I really like it, especially the ones that are like, hey, you coward, do more FNAF. Stop telling them to make me do more FNAF. I'm just celebrating someone who outreached to us and was wonderful. <laughs> that is a gamer. We love that shit. Um, oh, you know what? Here's a little teaser. On the Patreon, someone asked us why we call you guys Goombas and what that makes us, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it's on the Patreon. I will give you this. Wah! All right, Goombas. And this is Tom and Andrea reminding you, don't skip the cutscenes. Bye. <laughs> Kyrie. Sora. Ah. Kyrie. Remember what you said before? I'm always with you too. I'll come back to you. I promise. I know you will. You walk a